0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is As Lutheran As It Gets. As always, I am the co-host, the Techno Viking, Pastor Damon Riley, joined as always by the Predator and Master Roaster, Pastor Christopher Gillespie. I'm
1: drinking uh, something. I don't even know what it is. I take the remnants, I throw it in a little container. I don't and know then I what drink, I'm drinking. I just brew it up and whatever it is I get, sometimes it just blends up all these leftover coffees and it's amazing. Nice. Uh-huh. I'm drinking mushroom
0: coffee. There you I, go. Because I need it. <laughs> I need it. Uh, I think in the last podcast we mentioned, the Oberg podcast, we mentioned Detlef Schultz's Mission from the Cross. And so we're going to read some of that today. Go to the back and read kind of the con- toward the conclusion. Uh, let's see. This book is approximately 303 pages. Yeah. And it's heavy it's monolithic but Detlef is german and if any of you are familiar with german theologians they that's are south
1: african german so
0: <laughs> that's true that's right but uh, verbosity Blend. is uh, <laughs> yes exactly an adjective that can often be used
1: there is a lay readers edition which i'll link in the show notes it's 125
0: pages yeah that's probably the better option to get this is a this is dense if albrecht peter's stuff is Thick, this is just dense and perhaps impenetrable for some.
1: Yeah, well, and I think that's because it's not translated. I mean, this is this is native natively written, right?
0: Right. And it it almost reads <laughs> in a certain sense like a dissertation. Mm? Yeah. It's it's academic, that's for sure. Well, he's an academic. Right.
1: He's a professor at um, Concordia Theological Seminary, right? Right. Fort so Reed. you
0: could you could say it's verbose or tedious depending on what side of the street you're standing on. <laughs>
1: I think I, he wrote it as an academic treatise. Right. I, really, that su- that I think That sounds so.
0: right. And I yeah. love it. I mean, I like the book a lot. I've enjoyed reading the book several times, but it is dense, and it is not something that you just sit down and read casually. I have i don't think I've ever read the book actually from beginning to end. I just pick a section no, no you pick and, out pick of pick, order. Pick out a section, yeah. So it is encyclopedic for me that way. is, right. And like I said, it's so dense that you can read one section like we're going to do today, and walk away with a lot to think about and process.
1: But despite all that, it is as Lutheran as it
0: gets. As Lutheran as it gets, we're climbing anyways. So <laughs> shout out to Detlef, you are the winner of this week's as Lutheran as it gets prize. <laughs> <laughs> Just send a T-shirt or that's something. That's right. Oh, we need more swag. That's what we need. That's, yeah, that's right. We do need merch for sure. We'll have to come up with, <laughs> as Lutheran as it gets. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh,
1: uh, Who's as Lutheran as gets? This guy is. <laughs> that's right. This guy with big arrow pointing. That's right.
0: At his belly button, I guess? Sure, that's That'd right. he kind exactly. of an joke. <laughs> belly button theologian. There we go. <laughs> we could do that for conferences. There you go. Uh, let's see A Naval here. gazer. <laughs> that's right, exactly. But... Um, I think uh, Erica Jacoby, who's in our Mark, one of our, what is she? She raises funds. She's fundraiser. What's She's her, development. Development, thank you, executive. Oh, development oh, executive. Yes. We've been working on a t shirt for media for the Heidelberg Disputation translation that we've done. And mm. uh, it says, Oops, we gospeled again. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So look, be on the lookout for that at conferences. I,
1: I think we're onto something here. This is this is how I mean this will this will correct any kind of budget woes in any institution, right? Absolutely, just
0: sell more T-shirts. Yeah. Every BJJ podcast I listen to, that's their gateway drug into uh, kind of buying into the podcast is the merch. Yeah, it's not going to be the, the advertisers. No, it's a, definitely a, a cottage industry, cause, and it's so cheap now to to get stuff screen printed mm-hmm. and and print on demand if you have publication type of stuff right that you, you want can do to these short run kind of things yeah exactly yeah. so it's there's been no no better time to be an entrepreneur right a self-starter yeah
1: well and stickers i mean those have been big for a long time magnets yeah. but then the new hot thing is uh enamel pins really yeah i don't know uh i've seen it in coffee i've seen it in the tech industry too really people just giving away enameled pins mm. so there's a couple vendors that make these things yeah huh. so i don't know what you put them on your bags i guess or well, you know Shoulder straps or... Yeah.
2: Huh.
0: Huh. Interesting. Mm. Can you use that to uh, do artwork on ceramics and stuff? Or Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a multi-tool, multi-purpose. I think it probably is. It's probably the same machining. Mm
1: -hmm. That's interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. I dig it. And so in a very awkward segue, uh, (laughs) from enamel pens to an explicit rejection of all religiosity. uh, Subject that's near and dear to my heart right now.
1: (laughs) Slogan theology... Uh, what do we say? Slogan uh, theology mm-hmm. and uh, T-shirt memes, whatever. Reject all religiosity, <laughs> and here we irreligious. are, irreligious. <laughs> there we go, irreligious
0: Lutherans Could start a movement. Correct. But uh, we're going to jump all the way to the end, like I said, to the conclusion, page two hundred ninety-four of Mission from the Cross, and look at this question of an explicit rejection of all religiosity, coming really on the heels of a cautious confession to all religions, where he discusses points of contact that we may have with for example islam in regards Mm to social issues we would call them first article stuff Uh, and yet the limitations of that which is really we've talked about this before i think of for example um wisdom literature eastern Mm -hmm. philosophy western philosophy that it is actually helpful and useful in serving and loving your neighbor in an an earthly sense but in a um, uh, capitalist spiritual sense in a salvific sense completely worthless right which is why Dr. Luther can say that reason is both the queen of the faculties and a whore.
2: Mm.
0: That in, in terms of building a bridge, in terms of helping your neighbor, serving your neighbor. Civil society. Civil society. Reason is the queen of the faculties mm-hmm. because it allows us to sit down and think together about the best way to serve each other, serve our communities and, and the world. But in regards to God, sitting down and reasoning, well, it leads you nowhere because the gospel is absurd and yeah, and worse that, than that it leads you away from the gospel right and i wonder if this is a good point too when we're talking about the mission from the cross or just missionary work in general is that you can't really make the gospel palatable for mm-hmm. old adam digestible digestible reasonable yeah. which again like paul says that's what the the jews want they want a, a reasonable argument for why they ought to believe the gospel
1: yeah. Like it's a goodie bag with your enamel pens
0: and your t-shirt. Exactly, exactly versus the juice. Like I'm who on board. <laughs> you know? Right. And so on the one side of the street you say, well just show me something. Wow mm-hmm. me. Give me a light show. And on the you know, Pink Floyd laser light show. And on the that's other right. side of the street it's, well make a good argument. It's called in in Greek philosophy it's called parousia, which would be public discourse or or reasoning together essentially. What that's what the mm-hmm. philosophers are doing at Mars Hill every day at the Areopagus. Right they They sit around and they talk about philosophical issues, they're public interests let us
1: reason together exactly
0: and Paul's saying essentially there's limits, and the limit is God Because <laughs> how do you how do you rationalize a personality that has created everything that exists and yet <laughs> exists within that but is not captive to it
1: well, and this is an important point that. Our friends, you know, in the apologetics um, contingent, I guess we would say, you know, like like Red Rosenblad or or, um, John Warwick Montgomery, Craig Horton. These guys, they what is it? Craig Parton. There we go. Craig Parton, right? Yeah. Um, Well, and Michael Horton too. That they will say that um, reason, you know, arguments can only get you apologetic discussions. Mm -hmm. Even can only get you to the front door of faith, right? Right. But they don't create faith. Mm -hmm. So in that way, they're they're. They're not. They're not part of evangel of the evangel of the gospel, yeah. um, but they are part of evangelism, right? The, right. Exactly. Well, church.
0: this goes to the point. Anecdotally speaking, that in I was reflecting on this again yesterday, that I came to believe in God through my reading of hard science, mm-hmm. physics, and, and and then through reading about microbiology and cell um, mitosis and so forth, and and reading philosophy. Yeah, and essentially reading guys like Plato, who are arguing against things like the fates, and uh, arguing well if the gods are also servants of the fates, why do we worship the gods when they're impotent to really intervene on our behalf? They're slaves to fate right. too. Right, and even a guy like Plato, or or Cicero, or whoever it might have been at the time, and then reading science like Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time, mm. and really a really brief history of time, more than anything, convinced me that there was more to. W- reality um than just coincidence and accident
1: right and and that creation history whatever you want to right. call it um the sciences. is i mean they're not irreducible mm-hmm. right? right you keep you keep going f- further in and further up or as yeah. lewis would say it I, they're you know we we try to find more subatomic particles and then we find Something that aren't even subatomic particles, what are they,
0: right? Well, that's the thing is that it it led me to a belief in a higher power, a being or a a substance, but it didn't give me any clear definition of deity or divinity. And again, reflecting on this yesterday, what I also thought about too is how clear my line of sight was that there is something or someone that created all of this and, and put it in order And then once I did get into reading the Quran and the Bhagavad Gita and the Bible and all of the things, and then started going to church or talking with religious people in general, believers, the more confused I became.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and too many, probably, even in our own um, circles, operate with the divine watchmaker um, Mm -hmm. kind of approach that, yes, um, science, nature reveals that that there's incredible complexity and but within that complexity great order Mm -hmm. which in itself is like a a sign of deity right right um you know somebody set this in order somebody created this incredible complexity or something Mm -hmm. but um but it doesn't give it a name yeah that's the that's part of the problem and uh but it also doesn't presume that that person is still active in it Unless you subscribe to something else like, you know, the the, the chaos theory, that things are, um, re, you know, falling into chaos.
0: Well, I think that's the point, though, is that even when I read read chaos theory or I, I listen to lectures on chaos theory, at the end of the day, it's still a matter of what we call chaos is somehow orderly to this hmm. divine being, this creator. That's why you use the example of the analogy of a forest all the time, is that to God, the forest is perfectly ordered. Whereas when we look right. at a forest, we think, well, the, the trees aren't straight. They're not growing in any particular direction or order that makes sense to us. And therefore, well, let's just clear cut the forest and then replant all these trees in the straight lines. And that's orderly. Or just in the way in which we try to control ecosystems. And mm. so we'll overhunt like wolves. We'll overhunt wolves and almost kill all the wolves. And then we'll bring in Canadian wolves and try and repopulate But then it throws the whole ecosystem off because the elk, for example, isn't used to these predators being in their ecosystem anymore. And then you reintroduce them. And so the elk don't really have a fear of wolves. So then they decimate the elk population. So then we've got to start hunting the wolves again. And it's this constant falling off the horse on either side. And we know inherently, like Paul says in Romans 1, we know inherently there is supposed to be an order to this. And there is supposed to be agency, in in concrete reality the problem is just our perception of that reality and how we project ourselves out onto the world in such a way that we make ourselves the the author and perfector of the created order for example hmm. versus accepting well if this is the way in which god ordered things who are we to interfere
1: there's also you know this is what gives rise to theories like the the butterfly effect mm-hmm. right uh, because we, we do recognize that we, we don't understand the relationship of all things, right? And, and not, in a, not in a comprehensive
0: way. We know the right? what and we, the how, but the why often eludes us. Right.
1: Well, and even if something like in the human body with the gut biome, yeah. we, we're starting to understand a little bit of the relationship of the biome and that symbiotic relationship you know, to the rest of the body and the Correct. way it affects mood and behavior mm-hmm. and um, digestion and all those things but even so you know what ratio of what micro you know mm-hmm. uh, organisms what's what's correct how did we arrive at this how come we never really thought about this before right <laughs> yeah it, it's um yeah, it's pretty it's pretty crazy stuff right. and so but we do recognize i think that you know every action does have a reaction of some sort
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and this goes to the point, too, is that being like God, knowing good and evil, doesn't mean we have the power or the ability to change what is good or what is evil. And like Dr. Luther says Mm -hmm. in the Heidelberg Disputation, what we usually call evil, God calls good. And what we call a mortal sin is what God calls good or saintly. And then what we call saintly or good, God calls a mortal (laughs) sin. And so whenever we try and, you know, whenever we say to deity, hold my beer, we usually make a horrible mess of things
1: we don't even know the result of our actions. Exactly. It's like
0: when radium was discovered and they decided, well, we'll just put radium in everything because it makes things glow in the dark. It's super cool. And then people started getting cancer and they realized, oh, you're getting cancer from the radium. So we should probably outlaw this. And even right now with cell phones and electromagnetic uh, technology, we know that everything has an electromagnetic resonance to it and every creature and everything that that has life has an electromagnetic um, field around them. But there is data and research that's saying that that's the reason the bees are dying is because the, right. the cell phones and the cell phone towers are upsetting the electromagnetic spectrums in which these they see and operate and communicate with each other. And so it may come up to a point in 20 years or something where we realize, oh, yeah, the reason the bees are extinct is because we killed them with our cell phones. Or just the fact that we have brain cancer because it turns out that you shouldn't sleep with your cell phone next to your head. <laughs> Think, we, we're constantly destroying ourselves. Wow.
1: We're going, we're going deep into conspiracy theory here. But... uh it's not a theory. I, uh, They're doing testing. Well, you know, one of my goals in life is to uh, end up out uh, where there is no cell reception. And then, but but just to push things a little bit further. Um, I want to have a recording studio, but have it within a Faraday cage.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> just go all the way. Yeah, so that... <laughs> Be like well, Hacken it's interesting.
1: In it's interesting because... it. I used to represent uh, audio manufacturers, or you know, I worked for a retail store, mm-hmm. and we had a manufacturer out in Colorado. And the the founder CEO, he's he's actually only recently deceased. Uh, he got into a horrible um, biking accident. He was on you know just a regular pedal biking bike or biking, <laughs> biking. Okay. He got run off the road and <laughs> he had a horrible spinal biking injury. Accident. Those are the words. It wasn't with Vikings, but anyway, he was in Colorado. Yeah. they were in Boulder, uh, but he owned a place up in the mountains, and he 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 remarked about. That they even they had some measurable um, difference, but but it was completely audible um, the difference in sound mm-hmm. when when he shut off his Wi-Fi system in sure. that kind of isolated environment. Yeah. So he shut off the Wi-Fi, and you could hear it in the loudspeaker. You could you could hear the difference, the audible difference in the music oh, being produced. And so, so then he spent a lot of mo- money, time, and effort in their products trying to reduce the effect of electromagnetic interference, but. But if there's so much of it, right?
0: right? Well, and this goes to the point too of how right. how we interface and engage the world around us. We're the only, as far as we know, we're the only. Although I would argue, probably dolphins and ravens probably in, <laughs> engage in this too, but we're really the only creature that engages reality as if we're not a part of it. <laughs> that mm. we craft it as we go along, and oh. I think that's the biggest error that we that is a consequence of of sin is we actually think that our interface with reality changes and affects reality one way or the other. Hmm. Which is And the what? ancient word for that was hubris, right? Hubris, exactly. It's hubris. A special kind of pride. <laughs> right. But that because of that, the way that we measure like intelligence or the way that we measure our relationship to other creatures is based on our, like, well, are you adaptable? Can you work with tools? Do you... And then... We measure Do you have other. intelligent
1: thought, right? Um, can you communicate? Do you have right. language?
0: Yeah. Versus, I've become mean, obsessed with ravens lately. This is my new thing, and that because they're so smart, and they can actually create tools, and they can problem solve in these really complex. They understand spatial. They have spatial awareness. They can recognize faces, um, individual faces. They can pick out individual faces. And, and and then again, interface with those people because they know who are bad people and who are good people and what's dangerous and what's, you know. Yeah,
1: so that's historically then why they were so uh, easily trained.
0: Right. And so then all of a sudden you look at a dolphin or you look at a raven and go, well, wait a minute. They're conscious of us and they're examining us and they're problem solvers and they can uh, problem solve in these multi-step um, sequences. To, and they do
1: that creepy thing where they can turn their head sideways, like they're actually considering right, exactly. your words. Right, <laughs> exactly, and, and
0: then go well. So we take these creatures that are hyper intelligent, probably more intelligent than we do. We are that they have their own complex system of of language and and interaction and their social interactions with each other, and then we we lock them up and make them perform for people. <laughs> and. And that's the way we interface with the world. And that's the way we treat our relationships with each other to a certain extent. We were talking about this before we came on the air is when it comes to like love and the relationships, our relationships to one another, so often we think that true love is based on what we do or don't do for the other person Mm -hmm. versus the unquantifiable, I love you because of who you are as a human being, whatever being is. And like you were saying with like the gut brain biome, now researchers are saying, well, what we have called consciousness in the past Has like in the present tense, we're saying, yeah, that's not actually it at all. (laughs) Like, maybe consciousness originates in the pineal gland. Maybe it originates in your stomach. (laughs) We don't know anymore.
1: (laughs) So maybe the Greeks were right in having, uh, you know, the gut being the
0: seat of emotion. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely not the heart, (laughs) but rather the gut or the kidney. Um, And for all of our assumed progress, we are simply it, it. it, we are more aware of what we don't know, <laughs> and yet, like we were talking about when we listened to the—is uh, the, it? Uh, I always forget the first one, Dunning Kruger.
1: Oh yeah, w- did we quote that in the last episode?
0: Was it the last or the episode before that? But I was again, I thought I always forgot the second one. I always forget the first guy. Oh no, it was, it was
1: episode twenty-seven. First Dunning Kruger
0: effect. Yep. The what? The Dunning Kruger. Yeah, effect. Dunning Kruger effect is that the more we know, the more. We believe ourselves to be hyper evolved, or or smarter than the Greeks, or smarter than those Israelites, or whatever, it may or mm. just smarter than people in the early 20th century, even. Right, and that is, but that it's is,
1: actually a special kind of blindness.
0: Right? right, exactly. Right, we know so much, but we don't know anything. We're always limited by your
1: perspective, uh, reason, and senses, which is what we were kind of got yeah, right. us down this rabbit rabbit trail. Right, is that we're limited by those things. There's only so much that can be known and uh, even our own cognition you know how much um, we can understand what we even observe right, right. so it's, here's the data but that it isn't always intelligible
0: right well <laughs> and it's the the arrogance of of well i know more so therefore i must be better than morally mm. ethically that we use knowledge like paul says this in first corinthians i think chapter 8 right that all knowledge puffs up
2: Mm, that's right you know
0: all men have knowledge possess knowledge but it, all knowledge puffs up and therefore the smarter quote-unquote smarter you get in, a, in essence there's a certain dumbness that <laughs> comes along with it but are you aware of that Yeah, I that? mean, ideally your knowledge leads you to humility that's right? my point too of, of we we talk about this all the time in, and i haven't brought this up in a while so it's time for the to get the uh the bell out but in jiu-jitsu we talk Dang. about this all the time that when you get a belt promotion you don't suddenly know more than you did before you were promoted, but rather you recognize how little you know the further you advance. Because the more you learn, the more you recognize, oh, I don't, like, oh, this never stops. I thought when I started, as I advanced, I would become not only more knowledgeable then, but also be better able to master these techniques. Whereas as you advance in your belts, you recognize, oh, like a black belt, Knows more than I do, but in knowing more than I do, he knows less also. It's a kind of a paradox. The more you learn, the more you recognize, oh, I don't know anything yet. Like, I have so much to learn. And yet, the well, problem is... Well, and that's you
1: why th- you see people who become masters, um, they continue to study and they continue to practice. Right. Rather than just walk away now that they've attained their masterdom. Right. right? Well, it's
0: like the old Zen Buddhist uh, parable, or whatever you would call it. You know, that the guys, they go and ask the Zen master, what is enlightenment? Hmm. And he just smiles or slaps them across the face or whatever it might be, is to say, if I, could, if I could tell you what enlightenment is, I wouldn't be enlightened. In the same way, just because I have knowledge doesn't mean I, I know it all, or I can somehow give you this knowledge in a, a kind of vitamin t- type of pill where you just swallow what I'm telling you and now you'll be as enlightened or as knowledgeable or, or whatever it is as I am,
1: which now, I think that is a problem. In that kind of system, somebody has to be the most enlightened. Right. And right. uh, but that can be an imaginary figure. I mean, it doesn't actually have to be somebody that you could meet in real life. As long as um, this is just you know the nature of of motivation, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> that there's there is kind of a, a telos and, and yeah. you know, a, a culmination. Um, you know, but in like in the Christian life, for example, it's it's not actually something we, we can realize in this life. Right. You know, to be perfectly holy or sanctified for us it comes in the resurrection, mm-hmm. you know, of the dead. <laughs> so um, you know striving towards that goal to, to kind of use the this progressive language yeah
0: well um, and i think you either progress you either recognize you're progressing down into the grave because it's a progress into death mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you believe it's a progress up and out of creation and you know up and out of reality so to speak
1: right so that was the point with your um with both buddhism and martial arts is that it's rather than driving you out of who you are you know our faith is driving you
0: more and more in to recognize who you are. Right, reality that and, you're not and you're, you're not yeah. interfacing with reality. You're simply a part of it.
1: Yeah, becoming more and more aware, right? Of you know, theologically speaking, it would be the depth of your um, your mortality or sinfulness right. well, um, and your be, need for a savior.
0: It's summed up by "I must decrease that He may increase." Mm-hmm. Is exactly. that the more you know, hypothetically speaking, the more you know, as you pointed out, the the humbler you be you are made because the knowledge of who you truly are in reality is in, is the law it's intended to drive you to Jesus to say i thought i needed you yesterday but today i recognize how much more i need you than i needed you yesterday and so i would say are you becoming more passive in your relationship to your savior or is it make it's like we we talk about you know you break hard one way or the other we were talking about, mm, right. you know, growing up the child of an alcoholic. Do you break one direction and become an alcoholic or do you break the other direction and become a teetotaler? Well, it just depends. It's, or if you're, It's easier to be the alcoholic because it's what you know. Right, right. right. But if your parents so, get divorced to the Maybe for generations and generations. Right. Yeah. Depending on which parent you side with at the time of the divorce, that mm. may be the direction you break. But likewise, then we've both seen this as pastors is that there are some people come in completely broken and ruined just really damaged people who when the gospel gets a hold of them that that's all they want to talk about they just want to talk about jesus and the gifts And if you bring up anything in relationship to like i have a young woman who i i helped get sober and clean and she always wants to talk about um me and how i've helped her
2: Hmm, And I'm
0: saying, I didn't do anything. I just drove you to the door. I just pointed you in the direction. I had conversations with you, but I never told you what to do or how to do it. I simply said, this is my experience. Um, You did all the work and that ultimately the reason that you're in, in church on Sunday, the reason that you have a job, the reason that you can support yourself, the reason that you're focused on Jesus now and on, and recognize that in your neighbor, the vocation part, aspect of how God works through your neighbor. Um, we're we're having a conversation about Jesus and the work of the Spirit rather than Donovan and this woman and her, what she's done. So in one sense, yeah, we celebrate her sobriety, but in a greater sense, we understand that that sobriety is all directed toward Christ. Right. If it's to be God-pleasing, right? Right, if it's to be God-pleasing. And if it, in my opinion, if it's going to be permanent. Because you can't okay. really focus on just the fact that you're sober. You have to focus on the root, not only the root cause of how you got into this in the first place, but also the the ultimate root cause of what is it that allows you to stay sober? Well, it's God's grace.
1: Right. And if you perceive it as your work or the work of your pastor, right. um, the challenge then is it, it can become about works again. Exactly. Right?
0: Yeah, and human, do, and therefore, said. like we we're talking about in relation to mm-hmm. trying to control an ecosystem or, or alter or fix an ecosystem, it'll fail <laughs> ultimately because right. I'm human, well, and that's and the way that we—that's the way we try to
1: control um, the way that the gospel, you know, has right. its effect upon us. Well, right? I think
0: maybe that's a good example too of what we're talking about. Is that I can love this woman in a in a sisterly or even in a fatherly sense because I'm twice her age. Mm -hmm. But I don't love, but everything about her when we met, I met her in jail. I went to jail to meet her and um, she wasn't sure if she was going to be in jail for the next seven to 12 years because of Mm -hmm. multiple offenses. And I immediately fell in love with her, but it had nothing to do obviously with circumstances. It had nothing to do with aesthetics. She's wearing prism uh, orange at the time. Um, It had everything to do with just the fact that here I see a person who's in desperate need of the gospel. Somebody
1: to love. Exactly.
0: And so I would say I didn't fall in love with her because of any aesthetic principles that I applied to her that I would call beauty or lovability or whatever. But rather, I would say that the spirit opened me up to to see her for who she is as a human being. And that at the root of that, at the very core of who we all are as human beings, this is Augustine's famous analogy, right, that there's. You know, I hate this analogy, but it works here is there's, you know, there's (laughs) an empty space in your heart that can, you know, it's a throne. There's a throne in your heart and only Jesus can sit on that throne or only God can fill that space.
2: Hmm.
0: But yet in a certain sense, that's true because all of what we're talking about is a desperate search for meaning. And like I said, when I studied science and philosophy, it led me to, well, there's a God, whereas others might study that and it may lead them to conclude that it's nihilistic, that there really is no purpose to life other than whatever meaning I squeeze out of it.
1: That's right. Well, and it's because they're approaching um, religion or faith in a, in a generic kind of way, but also only in terms of, you know, what do I get out of it? What's, what's exactly. the benefit to exactly. me? Exactly. Yeah.
0: And I think that's a great point is that what you get out of sobriety is you get sobriety.
2: <laughs> you can have yeah, health you, and well being, right, health <laughs> and well
0: being, and so you can actually measure your so called progress in sobriety because you you take a shower, for example, and you have money in your bank all of a sudden, and you can pay the bills, and people actually enjoy being around you, and you're not being arrested. These are yeah, you, these are things you, you can, can look be at in
1: relationship like, to people, <laughs> right?
0: You can actually say, well, that's this is good. These are good things. These are socially mm-hmm. good, personally good versus going to church every Sunday, going to the Lord's table every Sunday, listening to the sermon every Sunday, going to the Bible study every Sunday. It always seems like that sameness is, well, what happens with sameness? It's not exciting. Sometimes it feels tedious. Uh, It's boring. It's not really, you know, stirring me up emotionally. And yet at the core of what we're about as a church, what we're saying is to measure your progress as a Christian in relation to other religions is not to elevate you up and out of your bodilyness or, or concrete reality, but to ground you in that, to drive you into it.
1: Yeah. I mean, being um, a Christian, a faithful Christian in terms of, as you said, hearing God's word, receiving his gifts um, regularly, that, that, that looks more like the shower in the morning or more yeah. like, you know, yes, maybe you have the same breakfast every day. Cause you're just that kind of person. Right. Um, and you know, there's nothing particularly wrong with that, although I think a little diversity, you know, spice of life. But <laughs> That's funny regardless, because I was say the opposite. <laughs> well, but there is something to it in that having that routine or that schedule um, doesn't make it less beneficial to right. you, right? You still need need those nutrients. You still, you know, need that cleanliness. I and mean, it's not, it doesn't go away <coughs> right. um, just because you're not enjoying it on a like kind of spectacular mm-hmm. or amazing kind of level. That it's, it's very, um, You know, day to day, this is—it's just part of who I am. This is part of what I do. That's where
0: that's where we really should sit. Probably. I was recently listening to a podcast where they were talking about how the greatest athletes of the of the past, like fifty years, were all slavishly um, grounded in a routine. That every day Mm -hmm. was the exact same routine, and yet that is the difference between a gold medal and a silver medal is less than a tenth of a second in some instances, and yet. Once you, and I tell people this, like when I do stretches and yoga before class, I do the exact same stretches before every class, 20 minutes. And people ask, why do you do the exact same thing before every class? And I say, because I've never pulled a muscle in the two years that I've been doing this. Yeah. And so why and would plus I do that? you don't
1: forget. I mean, you can just do it. You can actually dedicate your uh, mental capacity at that moment and preparing in other ways.
0: Right. Know. And that's what I am doing too, exactly. That not only are you stretching, but you're being mindful and you're preparing yourself mentally for what's coming. Mm -hmm. And And if you had to think through the exercises,
1: um, that would reduce your ability to be mindful.
0: Right. It takes you out of the moment and it doesn't prepare Mm -hmm. you to be in the moment. And then likewise, like Jocko Willings says, discipline equals freedom. Whereas we think variety equals freedom. The more variety Mm -hmm. we have, the freer we are. It's like, no, actually not at all. This is why there's the constant argument about, do you use the same order of service every Sunday or do you mix it up and use different orders of service? Well, most people would say different because there's more freedom in that. Whereas someone like myself... Who is a a person who believes in routine and believes in discipline? And again, by discipline we mean you do stuff even when you don't want to do it because you know it's good for you. Right. Yeah. The habitus, as they. And yeah, exactly, say. the habitus. And so recognizing that even liturgically, that's a habitus, not a habit, right. hobbit, a habitus, <laughs> and that. There is it's a little man who lives in a cave in the ground. Right, and that really what the liturgy is there the for is to discipline us, literally, to say, I don't care if you like it or you don't like it or whether you think this is good because it points you to Christ and the gifts.
1: Yeah, it's not, a, it's not about how you feel. Yeah, It's about, um, it's God-givenness, right? right? And Here's for the me, scripture. the
0: historical liturgy is what we've been talking about, which is, here, we're kind of pointing you to this like greater reality that you're a part of God's reality. You mm-hmm. don't determine reality for God.
1: Yeah, it's, telling, it's retelling God's story about you. Right, exactly.
0: Right? Versus, well, we're, we're constructing our worship in such a way that it reminds us of who we are. Mm.
1: Or the story we want to tell about exactly, ourselves. Exactly, it's fake news. Essentially, <laughs> We we're love doing. you, God, we love you so much. It's like, yeah, really?
2: <laughs> Maybe right. be a little bit more honest well, about and it.
0: And I go back and forth on this when some theologians will say, well, don't emphasize that God loves you so much because yes god loves you but he's also a god of judgment and wrath and so you Mm. need to emphasize that he's not your buddy and my counter to that is i've never actually thought of jesus's love for me as him being hey buddy let's go outside and throw the ball around play catch like i've never really conceived of god's love that way because again it's not what is god doing for me but rather god's love for me is the fact that he created me
1: (laughs) Yeah. I was listening to a Pauline scholar, and he uh, has a new book out. I can't, I'll link to it in the show notes. But uh, he's been accused of being a Marcionite because he approaches Jesus' words first and then reads backwards into the Old Testament from there. Uh, and he, um. he, he remarks about this in that um, You know, people say, no, you need to speak more about God in terms of being a judge and being a lawgiver and you need to understand God first in that way. That's your presupposition because that's the first revelation, right? That's the Old Testament, uh, and um. then understand <laughs> Jesus's words in relation to the Old Testament. I know, I know. But it's interesting because you know you don't necessarily in the, in the world of biblical scholarship bump up to a, a faithful Orthodox, you know, Christian. Right. Uh, a lot of times they're just scholars. You know, they're just studying the text, kind of bare objectivity, not necessarily in relation to faith. This guy is a Christian too, um, a believing one. And it's like no, I. Uh, Jesus sets the parameters for us how to understand the God we meet in the Old Testament. He, he really almost, right? It's a whole new perspective in a lot of ways, not to borrow a different expression. But yeah, we listen to Jesus' words as they are. He says, "Here's what love looks like," and but then he also tells us, "Here's what, here's who the Father is, the God that you met." You know he's 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 loving, and this is how he loves you. Don't you? we talked about this? I think on a previous show. Like you read the Old Testament, you can read it as, um you know, God hates his people and keeps putting him into exile, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or you could go back and read it and say, no, the people keep being rebellious, and God keeps showing mercy to them, right? I mean, you can read it both ways, if you're not careful.
0: Right. That's interesting that Jesus says all Scripture is about me. I know. <laughs> and I know. You get accused of being a Marcionite for making all Scripture about something? Jesus. Right. But it, but his argument, too, is it changed the way you read Paul, which is a whole other conversation we could have another day. Right. It's interesting. Mm. All right, let's dive into this, since we're talking about religiosity and religion in general, and yeah, exactly. how our own religiosity forces us away from Christ
2: <laughs> hmm.
0: often. But And this is something that I wrestle with all the time, too, is to critique the religion of the old Adam, and yet look at it we, like we've talked about. There's no such thing as a church that doesn't have politics in it. Because we're political oh, animals, right. Right? right? And likewise, there's no church that isn't religious. And yet, mm-hmm. if we're serious about what Jesus says, He's not coming to to improve Judaism or create a, a new religion for the Gentiles. He's simply the end of all religion.
2: Mm.
0: And yet, how do you how do you preach a Christ who is the end of all religion? That in His death and resurrection, He ends this whole matter of what must I do to be saved and what kind of sacrifices do you want from me? He kills all of it, literally. And yet, like we were talking about with historic liturgy, we are religious in a a worldly sense. We have order, we have rubrics, we have rites, we have traditions, um, we are creedal.
1: Yeah. But those are not given pure, I mean, maybe even principally they're given to restrain the old Adam, right? Right. Right. Rather than, yes, I know we're making a good confession, but we're also making it against all the false religion we hold on to, all the false faith that we have. Right,
0: exactly. Right. So that's what I think we're going to get after today. Page 294, An Explicit Rejection of All Religiosity. Detlef Schultz. The Christian's positive estimation of other religion, religions must change when considering the person and work of Christ. While writing about the doctrine of justification, Melanchthon pointed out that good works in Christless religions constitute a kind of idolatry. Luther Mm. proceeds from the first commandment and uncovers the idolatry of non-Christians as a trust in a false god. Melanchthon and Luther's judgments that natural man either seeks merits through works or actually pursues idols are very dismissive toward Christless religions. The bottom line is that adherents of other religions do not give all honor and glory to God, who is revealed in Jesus Christ. The rejection of the atoning sacrifice in Jesus Christ constitutes the basic definition of false belief and worship. Good works in Christless religions constitute a kind of idolatry.
1: Right. So, uh, give a very practical example. It's like when somebody's walking out of church, a, a very... <sighs> Religious work would be the sermon that you preached, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when they say thank you for the sermon, who gets the credit? <laughs> right. <laughs> do you take the credit and say, well, yeah, I worked really hard on that or thank you? Um, or do you say, to God be the glory, right? You know, this was, you know, thanks be to God. Right. I think yeah, it was kind for of re- you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's different ways to respond, but if it was done in order to gain the glory of men, then then it's actually idolatry you're turning yourself into the idol to be worshipped right. by others
0: um, or you're worshipping yourself as well do you think we really consider that though worshipping a false god anymore
1: no I don't think so
0: I mean, we call it the cult of personality you know. which
1: you know that's, a, that's indicating that it has this religious kind of character to yeah. it But well, I, no, think I
0: don't. even my own congregation there's so many people in my church who say if I leave they'll leave and I don't Oh, doesn't
1: that that sinks it's like in the pit of your stomach, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, it just it, it it's disgusting to me on several mm-hmm. levels. And I don't mean the people saying it are disgusting to me. I mean just the 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 statement itself is disgusting to me. It does it almost
1: it almost presumes that you haven't quite done your job yet. Right, right exactly. That to if me you, that's if how I hear it is you haven't away. done
0: your job correctly because they're they're worshipping you. <laughs> whether they're aware that they're worshiping you or you not. Preach some, you need to preach some more um, just kind of boring, dull sermons. Right, exactly. So that... <laughs> yeah, I just got to be more <laughs> abrasive during Bible study. No, that's actually a stupid thought, and we're not going to talk about that anymore. <laughs> or just start pointing at people in the sermon. You, yeah, you. We all know what you did on Friday, so let's just talk about that. <laughs> uh, just find some way to kind of break that, that um But yeah, cultists, I, I think you know? that's the thing is that we don't, And there's a danger, I think, on both sides, right? That on the one hand, we say, for example, we don't don't have uniformity in worship across our church body. Mm -mm. And there are certainly certain sects within our church body who insist that for true orthodoxy and true unity, uh, we have to have uniformity of worship, even if it's just locally in the circuit, for example, or a district. And yet the other side is each congregation should be free to do whatever it is they want to do so long as it is. In keeping with our confession.
1: Yeah, even if it is incredibly divisive and ends up being like, for example, like intentionally drawing members from other parishes to you Mm -hmm. because you uh, you're responding to those. Those felt needs that they that they or, they want met, or starting
0: right? or taking half the congregation and starting a new church plant across town because the people in your mm-hmm. church don't want to be missional or they don't want to do outreach or something, and so we're just going to plant a new church and do it ourselves.
1: But we don't even have to go halfway across town, right? I mean, it's kind of the the uh, the hardware store effect, where you have you know Home Depot, Lowe's, right. and Menards, or a Starbucks a block across of each the other from a Starbucks, right? <laughs> that one is I can't even fathom, right? Uh, uh but also or yeah next to
0: Kira or whatever become too comfortable as a society when you're saying i can't even cross the street i just i can't that's my
1: that's starbucks my over starbucks, there not exactly. the one over there
0: it's I uh guess. best of show the right in best of oh, show yeah. that there's the one couple they talk i was sitting in my starbucks and he was sitting across the street in his starbucks and our eyes locked and we just knew it was it was meant to be <laughs> uh, <laughs> and just the uh, yeah just the absurdity of it but no, I, I, is that Christopher I, Guest, right? Christopher Guest, exactly. Best of show. One of the. It's so good. It's not. Yeah, it's so. good. It's, it's not <laughs> Spinal Tap, but it's good. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things you watch once a year. <laughs> but um, it's yeah, it's not as good as Waiting for Guffman, which is a classic. <laughs> mm. I love Waiting for Guffman, but I I just I wonder about that. We don't really take seriously that pastorally we can become idols for people but we ourselves can set ourselves up as false idols right and that, so
1: the point is i mean even religious works um can have that kind of character or that you can become so proud of right. your your orthodox lutheran worship that you end up worshiping it yeah right
0: well and, I, 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 not to, yes, again i'm dangerous. not trying to be pejorative and i'm not casting negative aspersions. dispersion, dispersion aspersions aspergers um negative anyway i'm not being i'm not trying to be negative but that's the reason i left most social media is because i recognized in my own behavior on social media that i was caught up mm-hmm. in a cult of personality and in a cult of orthodoxy a cult of yeah doctrine. i mean it's partially a judgment
1: against others but as but as much or more a judgment against Well, I,
0: I would judge myself because i participated in it which means i promulgated it
2: mm-hmm.
0: right and for me loving my neighbor meant i needed to leave social media and and remove my voice from the conversation altogether because I wasn't contributing to – and I had this conversation with friends of mine who are atheists and agnostics who are observing social media interactions mm-hmm. between right. myself and other Lutherans in this case.
1: Yeah, especially and, religious ones. Right. And asking
0: the question, what the hell is wrong with you people? Which was an actual yeah. question I was asked several times by people who aren't Christians or religious. And I didn't really have a good answer because – yeah. Arguing is not really a good Christian witness to the gospel, or well, arguing I think I about who's to, right. <laughs>
1: I think I need to remember to include this in my new member materials moving forward, is uh, don't friend anyone in this congregation on social media. Right, that's right. <laughs> and, unless, unless, yeah, I've, that's that's kind of like serving in office in the congregation. Right. Don't do that after, until you've been in the congregation for a good five, ten years, and you've kind of figured out, yeah, um, right. you
0: know who these people are because otherwise you know it can t- completely make shipwreck of your faith right and don't it's pretend like, that when you're on social media you're representing yourself as an individual not the congregation you serve or or even like the yeah, business you with. for example right, right? that yeah, yeah. you yeah. see people who run businesses or work for businesses being fired for things they tweet and then claiming well but i wasn't that didn't represent the business i or the group that i work. well yeah it does because you're connected to that you're associated with that and you
1: don't need a social media policy to learn that
0: <laughs> well you Mia, i know but i think that's the problem is that we 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 draw these false distinctions when we know full well that the way that people see us they see us associated like again people see me as a christian because i mm-hmm. am and so they associate me as a pastor with a certain set of behaviors and a certain sense of like how i would talk and how i again engage and interact with people <clears throat> and when i don't meet those expectations you hear well, you're not like other pastors, and my question yeah, is: Well, what are other pastors? Did, you know, lay out some criteria for me. And I wonder
1: if it isn't this: um, the the emphasis or the focus is not on Christ, but it's on either them or their congregation, correct, or their acts, even their acts of love. Mm-hmm. Um, or generosity charity whatever it looks like you know that that the the emphasis is away from christ Mm -hmm. you know and and, i mean ultimately that's the only way you can do a good work or for it to even be good is if it's if it's completely and entirely uh, for the benefit of christ and neighbor
0: well like we were talking again before the podcast is i can have conversations with people of other religions and there are certainly going to be people who say, well, if you're talking with them, that must mean that you must in some way agree or affirm what they're oh, yeah. saying or teaching yeah. versus no one. I'm just naturally curious. And I like to talk to other people about what they think or what they believe because I want to I, I figure if I talk to you, I'll get a better perspective on wh- who you are as a person, what you believe. than if I just read a book or a blog article about you or listen to somebody else tell me about you, right. like, I don't understand like, why would I do that when I can just talk to you directly. It's like we talked about when we were in Bozeman for conferences last summer, and I ended up having lunch and dinner with that group of Muslims. Oh yeah, and I remember that—that that was the best. That was the best thing that happened to me all summer at conferences. Was having four hours of conversation with these young, these Muslim youth who were here studying, and really getting an awesome perspective on pa- on Palestine and Israel because they were from there. There's some from North Africa. Some of them weren't Muslim. They had renounced their Muslim faith because they saw it as being divisive and
2: hmm.
0: contrary to peace and unity and they had, and again, they had outside perspectives on the United States and our culture coming into our culture and asking me questions like, how can you buy meat and it still be fresh four days later when in my country, <laughs> you kill and yeah. eat it the day of. <laughs> and they were just fascinated by Walmart. but uh, but As we all are, especially but, people of Walmart. Right, just because I'm sitting at a table sh- breaking bread, so to speak, with Muslim youth doesn't mean I affirm Islam. Now, socially, like in relation to social issues like abortion or pornography or sexuality or drugs or alcohol, we have a lot in common.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: First article stuff. But in regards to God, I still hold that they're, they're a Christian heresy because <laughs> I'm old school that way. But, and so, but we can still have a conversation then because I have a context in which I'm operating out of, which is I see you as like, the roots of your faith as being a Christian heretical sect. And you look at me as just worshiping a God- that we're monotheists, so we all worship the same God in different ways. And yet we're both approaching the conversation with our own perspective, our own biases, our own prejudices. And so I'm not sitting down to say, convince me to become a Muslim. What I'm saying is, I'm curious to learn more about you. And -hmm. if you're curious to learn more about me, let's have a conversation.
1: Well, and here's the other point. I I mean, they're not all that unlike you, um, because what they're holding on to their, their, their religion is, as you said, it's a distortion of Christianity, so you have a you're going to have some familiarity with it. Correct. I mean, you're going to have a touch point in the Psalms, for example, or actually even in Jesus, mm-hmm. they refer to him as a prophet. Right. But but not only that, this in terms of first article kind of aspects, you know, how they relate to one another and how uh, marriage and family and society, um, you know, they like order and uh, discipline, which we talked about right. too. You have that in common, and actually we all have that in common, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's very few people in this world who are pure anarchists. Right, <laughs> who, and who those are the, and
0: those are the guys that live 250 miles from Fairbanks, Alaska, out in the wilderness, <laughs>
1: or somebody like you know Keith, or what is his name, Ledger's character, Heath Ledger's character, oh the Joker, uh, his Joker right. portrayal, which is just pure evil. Yeah, that, not even in a sense of like oh I you know he's he's greedy and he's he's a criminal, mm-hmm. but, but he's not even a criminal. He is completely uh, mad.
0: Well, the thing that was in, in when you listen to film criticism, they come out as and saying, "Well, the Joker is essentially the hero, actually, <laughs> even though he's a force, he's a malevolent force." When you look at the concluding, like what does Batman do in The Dark mm-hmm. Knight? Basically, engages in you know surveillance and he's using you know using the population so he can spy on them. And obviously, there's a heavy metaphor there for the surveillance state. But film critics will say, "No, the Joker is actually the person who comes out on the right side of history by the end of the movie." Because, because he reveals
1: the hypocrisy of the whole right.
0: thing. Right. Or like um, Killmonger and Black Panther. like mm-hmm. Killmonger actually has the same philosophy as oh, Black Panther's love interest. They have the same perspective, which is we got to go out into the world and we got to share what we have with the rest of the world. It's just the way in which he approaches it versus the way she approaches it. She approaches it as, well, we need to provide social services to the world. Right.
1: Service, humility. Right. Love. Versus
0: him. He's like, let's just give all of our operatives these weapons so we can kill all the white people. <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah. We we will we will improve the world, but we'll do it through domination. Power, right. And so in the strength.
0: end, yeah. T'Challa actually does buy into Killmonger's philosophy, but he does it in the way of the love interest rather than the way of conquest and domination. Mm-hmm. So you have the same philosophy working throughout the movie. It's just two competing ways in which to bring that philosophy to. to that was bear. the
1: character played by Lupita, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, I can't pronounce her last name. Right, I'm sure. So that's really what we're talking about. Then, like Melanchthon says, good works in Christian in Christless religions are kind of idolatry because where is the final praise? Like mm-hmm. we're talking about, do you praise yourself? Hey, I helped her get sober, so praise me. Uh, that's a notch in my belt. Or do you praise Christ and say I'm just the instrument here? And like the angel in the book of Revelation, when John falls to his knees and tries to worship the angel, and the angel's like, "Dude." Like, we tried that, and it failed miserably the first time with Lucifer, so please don't worship me. <laughs> like, that's the last thing that I want you to do is worship me, because I am not God or the Christ. Yeah. And so, again, I must decrease that he may increase. And so, are we looking for opportunities to point to Jesus, or do we use that as an opportunity to use Jesus to point to us?
1: Isn't it said something about exchanging the worship of the creator for the creature?
0: Right, in Romans 1. It's just we're like, hey, it's a lizard or a bird or Or an angel in that case. Right. Right. We worship the creation instead of the creator.
1: Or even the things of our own creation,
0: right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is the big question (laughs) with AI right now (laughs) is can we create artificial intelligence? Can we control what we can create? And judging on like the analogy of the wolves in Yellowstone National Park that I brought up, the answer is, no, this is going to end horribly for everybody.
1: Yeah, we're going to let loose something.
0: We maybe can't even, figure out, pre- right. we can't even <laughs> figure out mental illness prescription medications. So how are we supposed to figure out AI? Well, AI will figure it out, and then we'll be enslaved to it. Exactly. Here, just take this pill, dude. It'll solve all your problems. Oh, remember, this is this is a deep, deep reference, but in the 80s, Kids in the Hall made a movie called Brain Candy, or maybe it was early 90s. No, in the early 90s, I think, but it's called Brain Candy. Where, 90s. And this is interesting, too, because this is before Prozac exploded. But essentially, the context or the the point of the movie is they invent a pill that can make you happy all the time. And so everybody takes it because who doesn't want to be happy? But then they discover after they take it that they can't not be happy.
1: (laughs) They're locked into it. so even when
0: they're sad and they're crying, they're laughing while they're crying. And Mm. it's Kids in the Hall, which if you haven't seen it, is brilliant, (laughs) but um, very subversive. Yeah. But at the same time... Social commentary. Dark commentary. It's a dark comedy in the sense of... Now, in the present tense, when you look back at that and go, oh, they really predicted what the consequence of Prozac and Ritalin and, um, and Xanax and all of these, these SSRIs are going to do to us, which is, oh, did you want to feel emotions? Well, no, you can't. The trade-off is you could feel one emotion all the time. <laughs> but it's a good emotion. It's happiness. The problem is you don't take that a-
1: flat affect myself. Right, exactly. But, but it comes naturally to me.
0: <laughs> right, But it goes to the question is that, can you really, can you be humbled if you don't suffer and don't struggle and don't go through the hard times and recognize, it's like I've said before, can you really be grateful if you've not been, you know, if you've not felt entitled, can you really be grateful? Because I certainly felt entitled for a long time, (laughs) entitled to lots of things.
1: Like we talked about at the beginning, talking about uh, perspective, Right. right? I mean, being limited by our own perspective, we have to be given that perspective, um, we have to, you know, actually be given suffering in order to understand those who suffer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: it's It goes to the root of empathy.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: I know, I know what you're feeling, literally. Right. Because, actually. yeah, I've gone <laughs> really. through it. And going through it existentially, personally, individually, it does, it breaks you down and says, this is actually who you are. Mm-hmm. I know who you think you are or who other people tell you you are, but this is actually who you are. And yeah. then when you and see like, those people, you're like, oh, I see you.
1: Like being a married person um, qualifies you to to provide marriage counseling in a right? <laughs> in
0: some ways it does, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, maybe in some ways it, it, it's actually, you could just say, here's what the Bible says about marriage. And you could say that whether you're married or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but having been through it, it does give you that empathetic or even sympathetic mm-hmm. uh, position. It allows right? you to laugh at a lot of stuff. Yeah, Exactly. And you say, yeah, you're going to go through all sorts of nonsense. Right. Uh, it might look like this, <laughs> <Right>. it, it, <laughs> or maybe yeah. it'll be something completely different. Existence but, is uh, absurd. Just it, embrace it.
0: <laughs> exactly, because exactly. you're you're trying to fix something that can't be fixed. You can't fix a person.
1: <laughs> but it, but it's the same when um, when you talk about vices, you know what we call you know the way that sin are manifests in our life. Yeah. We talk about death. I'm you know having a loved one die, somebody very close to you, mm-hmm. um, changes the way that you might speak of death to somebody else. You might not use um, you know moral platitudes or just mm-hmm. kind of you know well wishes you might speak much more directly about it, or maybe you'll fall into that temptation to kind of you know soft pedal death. No and, and not, you recognize like, through that the
0: experience reality. there's a time to talk and there's a time to shut up.
1: You know, that's the other aspect too. And
0: yeah. a lot of times as a pastor, I just shut up and sit mm-hmm. and wait for them to give me the sermon, so to speak yeah So there's a time to sit there's a time to just hold someone and let them cry it out and then speak into it. But if you've not, and, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to be binary in this, but because there are people I meet who are just naturally empathetic people or naturally caring people or just naturally, you know, get it, so to speak, who've not gone right. through great suffering and struggle. But in my ex- personal experience, I just did have to go through and still do have to go through that um, to get to a point where I can say in a neighborly sense, okay, now I'm prepared to, to be in this relationship with you. Cause I can accept you for you, whoever you are, whatever that means without mm-hmm. having to judge based on your actions or your words and whether I agree or disagree with them.
1: Well, having gone through it, um, for example, you would understand that, you know, death is not a problem that you can fix. Right. I mean, you, there, there are no words mm-hmm. uh, apart from the resurrection. Uh, but even then, you know, the resurrection is, is about, uh, future hope, mm-hmm. I mean, but in that moment uh, you have, there, there's the deceased person, and right. all you can do sometimes is cry about it.
0: Right, well it's like if, if a big fish swallows a smaller fish, what are you supposed to say? Like, mm-hmm. what is there to say, other than, yeah, that's that's what happens. <laughs> when death gobbles you up, what are you supposed to say, other than well, yeah, that's what death does.
1: <laughs> well, so so then, you know, the wisdom is, is correct. I mean, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to cry.
0: Right. And maybe and that's a great, segue way back in the text, is that for all of the all the ways in which we laud a person at the at their funeral for their good works it's Christless at that point even if you're standing in the middle of a church that's holy faithful and orthodox if you're only talking about the deceased and their good works it's a Christless speech it's a spiritless speech and therefore death has the final word yep and the final word of death is yeah this is it <laughs> this is the and best. And
1: you and I have been through those funerals I mean and they are you know given that we have the perspective i mean we know what it's like to hear christ preach at a funeral yeah um albeit maybe rare and how <laughs> hopeless
0: a christless funeral is
1: yeah exactly and and then when it's somebody that that's close to you that's dear to you um i know in my own experiences with my grandmother i mean i heard such a sermon and then you know driving home in the vehicle with my kids right found myself preaching all the way home the, exactly yeah the sermon that i needed to hear right right yep or I've done that before, yeah, um, You know, like in a blog post or something where, you know, just, it, it's reactionary to mm-hmm. be sure, but, but it's also, no, I, these are the words of comfort that I need to hear in this right. desperate situation.
0: I guess it, it, for me at this point, I don't care about the aesthetics of worship as much as I care about, are you preaching Christ mm-hmm. <laughs> for you? Because the aesthetics and stuff will take care of themselves because they'll be focused on Christ.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd like to believe that's true. I don't know that I've experienced it enough to actually... Um, believe like what our even our own Lutheran confessions say that it's enough that we agree on right. the preaching of the gospel you know um, in practice maybe it, maybe it's because a lot of what falls outside of kind of what we would call traditional worship um, is coming from a very different theological place sure uh, and that we just need better and more resources that that are diverse but also orthodox you know faithful to God's word right and I just haven't experienced it. No, I, ha- <laughs> I, I haven't either. I think I have to admit, though, that it's possible.
0: It is for sure, and I've talked about this before. I've had conversations with Baptist ministers whose congregations mm. are essentially independent Lutheran churches now because of the catechism. They, they got a hold of the catechism and yep. went from pedo-baptism to all of a sudden the Lord's Supper to all of a sudden saying, oh, it's all about Jesus. Okay.
1: Yeah, the catechism being the Trojan
0: horse that brought for right. them. <laughs> and having <laughs> them say, well, we're leaving the Baptist communion and we're essentially a Lutheran-free church, and or independent, how you want to say that? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the focus from... Us as Christians to Jesus and the gifts, literally pulled them out of their own communion to because they just could not share the confession. Yeah, because and, they
1: got shifted from a what, what I think we've talked about before a sacrificial to a sacramental sacramental yeah. view of you know this is not about what we do for Christ but what He does for exactly. to us and that, and then that by I think out of necessity that it's it It's going to have its effect on worship, maybe Absolutely. not overnight, but it's going to, it, it will happen
0: you can dress it up however you want aesthetically you can you can go super high Anglican church or super low mm-hmm. congregational if it's a sacrificial system of worship, your theology and confession will reflect that no matter what you say, you can say we're being orthodox, but I'm just asking the question, then why are you talking about yourselves so much right why well,
1: and you- a sacrificial theology will lead to. That sort of worship. Exactly. It works it works both ways. Right. It it's, pushes Jesus up and
0: out, whereas a sacramental theology of worship pulls Jesus down and in.
1: Or a sacramental theology leads to a sacramental
0: theology of worship. Right. right? And a sacramental and, piety then. Mm-hmm. And a sacramental understanding of vocation, and therefore it's it's an in, you can't it's incompatible contradiction to try and say, well, we're gonna worship sacramentally, but then live sacrificially.
1: Right. And diagnostically then, when someone um, in your own and your own parish, for example, confesses a, a sacrificial view of worship, what does it tell you? It tells you that the emphasis has not mm-hmm. been what it needs to be, at least for that individual right. on the on the
0: Christ-for-you-ness. Well, and that's the constant push and pull of the Christian life, as I was saying, that if you asked my people, am I indispensable, they'd say no, because pastors taught us that that's not, like, <laughs> he's not the thing. And then on the same token, they'll say, but if he leaves, we're leaving. <laughs> And and I think we too easily dismiss. There's,
1: there's the sinner and Saint manifest, right? right? We,
0: and I think we too too quickly dismiss the fact that he, the pastor is the face of the congregation in, in many aspects, and you can't just ignore it and pretend like it's not true mm. or that it's not something worth attending to or paying attention to because oh that's not important I'm not important that's true you're not important but you know what to everybody else there you are because you have an interpersonal relationship with them.
1: Right. And we know you're important because if you have a pastor who's just uh, not a great communicator or um, doesn't interact well with people, that has a negative
0: effect. Exactly. 100%.
1: Yeah. It's not just the positives, it's also the negatives.
0: Yeah. D- yeah. Is that, again, being a pastor is <sighs> so much about interpersonal communication and relationships. It just yeah. is. I well, guess it's, you it's could one be cold and uncaring another, and completely right? aloof, but. No. People don't listen to you if they don't care about you.
1: Well, because they don't trust you. Exactly.
0: Right? So mm-hmm. it's not either or, but both and.
1: Yeah. Well, And I think that's because love and trust go together. Right. right? Yeah. So they, they know, know you together. love you, or they trust you if you love them, right? And those yeah. two things are bound up. Right. Um, you can't s- separate them. They're not going to trust you if there's no love. And it's love.
0: very confusing for people when you love them in spite of themselves. <laughs> mm well, how can you say you love me when, or, well, but we just argued, or, but how can you say you love me when you know what a wreck of a life I've made for myself? Because that's not why I love you. (laughs) Love has nothing to do with whether your life is successful or a wreck, or whether you're orthodox or unorthodox, or whether you insult me, or we argue, or we laugh together. I don't care about any of that stuff, ultimately.
1: Yeah, yeah. It really shifts, really, the nature of the relationships in the congregation, but also, um you know how you are perceived then by uh, by say a visitor or a guest, which is right to the text, I suppose right um, if they come in and they see that it's not about you know everybody's gotten their life together and they all get along because they're all on exactly the same page, mm-hmm. but if they come in and find messy mixed up you know that's sinners good. who are the only thing they have in common is they all confess their need for Christ and his and his mercy and right. forgiveness um
0: that's that's really a different kind of community. Very different, because it is actually a free community, not one that's mm. bound up in guilt and fear. Right. But it's counterintuitive, as we've talked about before. It's counterintuitive because these people don't really seem to have anything in common other than their desire for Jesus. <laughs> and you're like, well, that's actually why they're in church. Why would you be in church? <laughs> is it for the programs? Is it for the social hour? What is it?
1: Exactly, because so much of what we would consider religious activity in our world now is um, is, they're called things like um, CrossFit uh, veganism keto ketogenic whatever I mean you're talking about Leftists. diet exercise <laughs> just different lifestyle practices right, right? Um, and, and then they're religiously adhered to meaning you know there's daily and you read all the blogs and yeah. and, and you live the lifestyle um, mm-hmm. just watch uh, Ultra Spiritual uh, with uh, what's his name
0: he just had he's got a great one dispelling myths about the unicorn the latest one
1: did you watch his marriage video
0: no I his haven't yet video it's his personal JP wedding Sears, video. That's his name, JP Sears. JP
1: Sears, and it's not a parody, but it's it's like overproduced, like way like Hollywood Hollywood wedding video. And I'm, <laughs> but it's not a parody, right? I'm like, boy, there's some irony, right? right. Yeah, he did so, it up uh, right. <laughs> he did it. He did it right because you're getting married with the redwoods, and then there's this, the guy who who's officiating the service, um, talks about how the roots of the redwood are like marriage.
0: And, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs>
1: It's like it's ultra spiritual. It's right there. (laughs) It is ultra. Yeah, but I mean, we have so many things in our life that we would consider religious or spiritual. Mm -hmm. Um, Which maybe we, if we're going to be honest, but they're not at all because they're really just more about me worship. Right. Right.
0: It's it's a self imposed religiosity and a self imposed spiritual small s spirituality. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But it makes us feel good. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So it's merit works. When confronted by the
0: void that is death, when confronted by the abyss of death. We just want to squeeze a little juice out of that fruit, just a little bit more, a little bit more, just to, to give our life a little bit more meaning, a little more padding. Yeah, draw it
1: out as long as possible. Right. Because uh, the only other alternative is go big or go home. Right, right.
0: exactly, go hard in the
1: big. Better to burn out than fade away. Right.
0: Hmm. So, to continue with Schultz, theologian Holsten Fogerberg interprets Luther's position in the explanation of the First Commandment, not in view of, quote, the problem of our natural knowledge of God, Rather, Luther was dealing with the matter of true faith or false faith, whereby a man has either God or an idol as his Lord, As Luther speaks about true faith as the correct worship of God, he also rejects the general knowledge of God of the so-called monotheistic faith systems of either Islam or Judaism. Both religions reject or obscure and so are unable to provide a correct worship of God.
1: We should probably consider Fagerberg down the line.
0: Yeah. I've got one of his books in my library. Yeah. One. Bro, I, mean, I was on, on a commentary on the Lutheran confessions. That's what that's I
1: correct. have. Yep. That's what I have.
0: Yep. So this Selk S E L K you want to tell them what that is or should we just leave it?
1: Yeah. It's the Lutheran church in Germany. That's in fellowship with Missouri. So it's the, you know, it's, it's the ragtag band of uh, there we misfits go. there.
0: So the Selk statement mentioned above previously in what we didn't read conveys Luther's point in terms of worship with equal incisiveness. So here's a block quote from the Sulk statement. As much as we genuinely desire to approach Muslims by invitation and visitation, and to improve human relations with them, we must make it equally clear that we can have no joint worship with them, nor engage in any joint prayer, because Allah in Islam is another God than the Father of Jesus Christ. Muslims reject the Holy Trinity, and as a consequence, also the Son of God, Jesus Christ. This is recorded twenty-three times in the Quran. This, in turn, questions the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, because Allah does not need a mediator or a lamb. Which is from the Surah, page five eighteen, and and so on. Crucifixion would be a disgraceful defeat for Allah and His ambassadors. Truthfulness in this matter requires that christians just as muslims do not conceal these fundamental differences confessing muslims also see them clearly End quote.
1: and uh, for germany i mean this is a really big deal uh, because the amount of uh, muslim immigration that happened what from syria and i think in particular yeah right because germany had open had opened their borders mm. uh, to refugees that were also um, in iraq iran and uh, so they've received a lot of immigrants um, come with the Muslim faith. But also, interestingly enough, these people are converting to Christianity at a faster rate than anywhere else in the world, too. And maybe it's because, like, our sister church, Zelk, you know, they have this approach. They treat them as uh, people whom for whom Jesus died, right? Right. So they show mercy and care for them. Their social ministry to them, you know, with, with housing and clothing and food is living and active, Mm -hmm. um, but, but their church door is open and they confess why we do this, you know, because of who Jesus is.
0: Well, and this is a good point that he make that they make too, is that it's never a um, one-sided. What do you want to say? Compromise. Right. Is that when, you're, when you compromise on the Christian side of things, the Muslims or the Jews or whoever it may be, the Buddhists, who also come to the table with you, who pray with you, who worship with you, they are also compromising the tenets of their faith, especially in regards so to it, Islam.
1: So it's actually um, unloving for the neighbor because you're, you're, you're telling them, uh, you're asking them to compromise right. what they believe
0: too. Well, and I've used this analogy before, practically speaking, is that uh, going to an ELC seminary and being taught that homosexuality isn't a sin. I immediately raised the question, but Jesus died for the sin of the world. And therefore, if homosexuality isn't a sin, Jesus didn't die for that person. And therefore, what you call love is actually damning. Mm -hmm. Because I know what you're trying to do by making them feel accepted and welcomed and loved. And yet, by saying that that's not a sin, you're saying Jesus didn't die for that. Therefore, they're beyond they're outside redemption, which isn't loving at all, obviously. (laughs) So it goes to my point earlier in what Luther says in the Heidelberg Disputation, which is the thing that we say, well, that's that's wrong and evil and not Christian to say that's a sin, God says is a damnable lie, versus when we go, well, that's a sin too, but Jesus died for it and can be forgiven, that would be, we would be considered cold and cruel and unfeeling and unloving by telling a homosexual person that sin is a, or that homosexuality is a sin.
1: Well, and that's probably because they view in that particular sin, and I think with a lot of other sins, we view them as things that should be fixed or rehabilitated, right, 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 rather than no, this is a, a way that um, sin is manifest in their life, that condition exactly. that we all that we all hold, right. and uh, there there isn't, and we don't presume that 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 there can't be re- rehabilitation or we would say repentance, um, not just in the way of confession of mouth, but actually, you know, in behavior too. Yeah. But it's not going to be their work, and it's not going to be our work as a church. It's going to be the
0: work of the Spirit. It's going to
1: be a work of the Spirit. And the only way that's going to happen is if they hear, um, right. that is the sin that Jesus died for. Your sins and that's how
0: forgiven. you do, you go Jesus plus identity politics. And then the mm-hmm. first commandment breaks down, fear, love, and trust of something. Well, your identity politics in this example then become the The driving force behind your interpretation of the first commandment
1: so so you exclude it from you you excuse it from being sinful uh, to identify yourself by your sexual orientation right whereas the scripture teaches very clearly that we are to identify ourselves according to um our baptism into Christ, right? right exactly. You're, <laughs> and, you're looking. And that's their our own, only identity. Uh,
0: speaking of belly right? button theologians, that's what you end up doing is pointing people at their own belly button or lower their genitalia, versus mm. pointing them at Christ, crucified. Yeah. So right. stop staring at your body and stare at the body of Jesus <laughs> on the cross, because that's where your sin is at. And it's also a confusion of what sin is, because you're saying sin is what you do or what you say or what you think, and so you're mm. a sinner because you sin. Versus yeah. what we would argue following Paul in like Romans 7 is, no, because you are a sinner, therefore you sin. Like, like David says, I was born in sin. I was conceived in sin. So, of course, everything that I do from the womb is sin.
1: Yeah, sins being the things that you say or think or do being symptoms of actually right. a greater cause, right. which is this, this nature, this, re- um, this so reality.
0: So, we, we look at the consequences or the fruit. We don't look at the, the thing. And then we start parsing sins. Well, which sins are bad and which sins aren't as bad? And it's like the difference between a, a, a bold-faced lie and a little white lie.
2: Hmm.
0: A lie is a lie. Right. <laughs> there you are, Mr. Binary. But on the, on are, the same token, got... <laughs> heterosexual couples who cohabitate outside of marriage, who often get a pass because they're heterosexual right. couples, that's a sin too. Sorry, folks. Yeah.
1: But look, they love them. They love right.
0: each other. Like, and this goes to the point, right, That how we define love again. Like, well, they're in love. Well, guess what? That homosexual couple's in love too. Well, no, but that's bad. Why? Well, because it makes us feel icky. We don't like it. Well, guess what? Heterosexual love, that's also icky, biblically speaking. It's also right. condemned as a sin. So stop again, stop parsing this out and just accept that all sin, you know, all sinners sin and how it manifests itself. We don't play the you know, Maslow's hierarchy of sins. A sin is right. a sin is a sin. Anything that you fear, love and trust more than God is your God?
1: But we, and it is important to note that we don't, um, you know, level the playing field in that way in order to de- dismiss all sin,
0: which no, some we level would do. The playing field like in order to make sin sinful beyond all measure. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So that Christ would increase again. exactly. Right. And I think that, again, that's a problem. It's a problem of nuance because I know, like you, I know you just did what you did because the way that I phrased it <laughs> could lead someone yep. to say, "Oh, so he's affirming." Homosexual love or homosexual marriage is like, no, what I'm saying is what I just said, which is that we level the playing field that everything is sin so that we might increase sin beyond all measures so that Christ might be all in all. And so, Yeah. yeah, you're not dismissing it, but rather you're saying, oh, no, that's just as bad as all the other stuff.
1: No, we're dragging... The idea is that, the, well, God's word, God's word of law drags right. everyone into that right, exactly.
0: desperate right. you know, depravity. Don't try jumping the, out of the, the ditch because work. you're a snowflake. <laughs>
2: hmm.
0: You're not. That only in Christ is there true unity and togetherness. True, only in Christ through faith is there no Greek or Jew, slave or free, male or female. Only in Christ. And again, I was taught that that means that as Christians, we don't play gender distinct we don't make gender distinctions we don't distinguish love between two a man and a woman versus love between a woman and a woman or a man and a man a complete misunderstanding of the text
1: that's not yeah it's not a first article text if you're focused on uh,
0: jesus yes identity politics are not even on the table for conversation because all you're talking about is jesus the bridegroom
1: so you need heterosexual sin Forgiven, unique. Yeah, exactly. Homosexual sin forgiven. Right, uh, and then all other forms. We were talking about open marriage. You know, whatever. Yeah. You know, however this plays out, right. and uh, I think we're going to see more in creative and uh, oh, for sure. Ways. <laughs> because uh, the well,
0: because the doors are open for. All, well, as one person said, stuff that people only did in their basement in the past mm. has now become socially acceptable because of social media. We can find other people who like dressing up like a Furby, and juggling beanbags And then we can get together at the Radisson in the conference room and have a conference for Furbies who like to juggle BMAX because there's a hundred of us and therefore we can do this or whatever it might be. It just, Yeah, it's just the the doors are open, the gates are open to what used to – it's like reading the the old DSM manuals and Mm. and reading the updated DSM manuals, what used to be considered mental illness versus what is now not considered mental illness.
1: No, so what's shifted is it's not just about embracing those – who have these, you know, um, views that are on the what we might have once thought were on the
0: edge. Or there's, there's no or the deviant perimeter. behavior anymore.
1: No, well, actually, it's not even just that, that the
0: deviant needs to be
1: celebrated.
0: Exactly, right. exactly. There's no. even a push now to, to basically mainstream and normalize pedophilia.
1: Mm-hmm, right.
0: Same thing even within the last five years you would say that's about as deviant as you can get when it comes to sexuality and and identity gender identity politics sexual politics whereas now even that's they're trying to normalize that they want that included in lgbtq they want p in there too now (laughs) and of course the gay community is like no because remember for years for decades homosexuals were labeled as pedophiles That's right. They were grouped, they were basically the same thing, synonymous. They were considered to be synonymous. So homosexuals have spent all these years saying we're not pedophiles. And now the pedophiles want to say, no, let's just, can we get on the bus with you people? Well, this is the problem
1: when you, when you start with a big tent, um, right. You know, how big is that tent going to have to get? Right. Exactly. Before you, even you
0: draw the line and say, that's too far because every group, no matter whether it's normalized, mainstream or deviant, they all have, we all have our lines, (laughs) Where There's we say boundaries. that's way too far. That's that's too far. That's too far. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, and and the point was is like uh with getting back to the text and this this quote from the Selk document is to uh don't minimize those differences. Right. Uh, because it, it's it it's intellectually dishonest, but it also I mean it's spiritually dishonest too. Right. Right. We we can't actually Right, because you you basically pull Christ out of the equation and, right. you, and you only focus upon the things that aren't divisive. Right. <laughs> but then that, that makes you a moderate or, or really a wishy-washy Christian and a wishy-washy Muslim. Right. right? You're going to lose
0: respect in both crowds. <laughs> well, and this is a key point. I should probably circle back around to this too, is the, the fact that you're created and that your creator makes you, even though he knows what's going to happen, is a sign that God loves you. On the flip side of that, that doesn't mean then that because Jesus loves you, that you are now free to just do whatever you feel like. Jesus loves me, therefore he must love me warts and all. And, and this goes back to the point of, no, there's still a judgment. And the judgment isn't against you as a human being. The judgment is against sin.
1: And we confess that, that his redemption is uh, restorative, right? right? Not only does it restore our relationship to God, but, but you know, Maybe again, not immediately, but but over time, perhaps we come to recognize you know where how sin has broken loose in our life and where, where we've broken even our own understanding of who we are and what God has made us to be.
0: Well like we we're talking about it, it in some sense then, for lack of a better term, it raises your awareness of the other person's need for Jesus and the gifts.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah
0: and so at the same time that you're saying God loves you, which is evidenced by the fact that you're here. On the same time, you're you're also pointing out there's this thing that's keeping you from that relationship, enjoying that relationship. We call that original sin. Yeah, and therefore, yes, he loves you, but he loves you in the way of Jesus. And since Jesus hung on the cross for your sin, that's the thing that we have to address here.
1: This is kind of the distinction between, you know, the elder and and younger brother in the the parable of the lost Correct, son. Right? right. Yeah. That the the older brother. I mean, he's in. In a good relationship with his father, the younger son never actually lost that, but he wasn't enjoying it. He mm-hmm. was he was off, you know, squandering his life in whatever way. I don't know if the older brother was right or not, <laughs> um, but uh, but the the distinction there is then the the younger brother is brought back into a, um, a position where he enjoys the relationship to his father. Right. right. The thing that he wanted to throw away, which the father never threw away, even though the son. Wanted to throw it away, then that's restored in mm-hmm. patience and kindness. And um, whereas the older brother never threw it off in the same kind of way, but in his own way did. Right, right? he lived in the household all the while not believing um, that it was a household of of grace and mercy. You know, you could have asked for a bowl at any time, right? <laughs> right, we could have celebrated you being my son, like we have with your younger son. We could have done right. that any
0: day. Exactly. Right. Yeah.
1: You just missed it. You had it the whole time, and you were oblivious to it. <laughs>
0: <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, the love allergies! Of the father, right? Yeah. yeah. So to continue, non Christians can only advance to a true understanding of God as Creator through faith in Jesus Christ, which we've talked about by way of Dr. Nagel saying, "Hey, start with the third article, of the Creed, which leads you into the, you know it's the Holy Spirit, who introduces you to Jesus as the Christ, and it's Jesus who introduces you to God as your Heavenly Father." So if you really want to understand the creed correctly, go backwards.
1: Yeah, you can't understand God as Father apart from His Son, Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, it's kind of hard, (laughs) as evidenced by other religions, who would never think of calling God their Father.
1: Have you ever heard this? Um, People will speak of God loving them because He created them. Right. And like, well, that's not necessarily true. What about the people He created then who who die outside of faith? Does He really love them? Right. Or... Or even, you know, he created us, then why did he create us to die? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's not self-evident, apart from Jesus Christ, that he
0: actually loves us. Love as a concept or as an abstraction is, you can reach that outside of Christ. But as a concrete reality, it's only it's only evidenced within the context of forgiveness. Right? And like you said, that's the redemptive aspect of God's love, is that God's love is redemptive. It's not abstract. Mm. And by because it's redemptive, we have to focus on the why of it. The backspin of the gospel is well: you must have sins that need to be forgiven or died for. So we can't really skirt. Like I was talking with a friend last week, he was discussing how you know when you show up at different conferences put on by different denominations or, or church groups, the one thing that they always remark about when a Lutheran shows up, at least in our context, one of one of us is. You're always right. crucifying Jesus. Like, you can't hmm. not crucify Jesus for us. And we're like, that's kind of the point of the gospel. <laughs> like You can talk a lot about Jesus. You can even emphasize his teachings. But really, the rubber hits the road at Good Friday. Well,
1: yeah, it's a- and it's actually Jesus crucifying you.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. <that laughs> the old, the old by Adam preaching Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and Gentiles, that's what you're doing is essentially saying, what's really missing from this conversation is a death so you're alive and
1: you're 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 alive quote unquote but more like a zombie you know you exist. Walking your exist yeah dead you're not works. alive
0: but you're not dead you just exist and you exist because you talk a lot about god's love you talk a lot about grace and jesus but where does that where does that actually have traction like where does that gain traction at in death and resurrection and so if you don't have the baptism language nailed down of of dying and rising to Christ every day. If you don't have the death and resurrection of Jesus and the power of the resurrection kind of center stage, talking about love and grace and even Jesus' teachings or Jesus' biography, it has its limits.
1: Yeah, it's abstract. It's psychological. Right, because as
0: you just pointed out, biologically speaking, I still have to die. The last enemy to be defeated. And so let's address that. Why love? Why care that God loves me? Why I want to change my life? Why I want to do anything if ultimately it's for nothing in Ecclesiastes sense, seven people are going to inherit what they didn't work for. So without Christ and... Oh, there you go. Without Christ and the cross as the content of faith, all statements of God as creator are incomplete and not praiseworthy.
1: So we don't even understand God as creator apart from Christ either. Right.
0: Because he's the word of God that created created. everything. Uh, There we go. Exactly. Oh, So Paul Tillich's proposition on the religiosity of non-Christians, the latent church as it's called, is deficient. To To be sure, such concerns as death, judgment, and fear seize natural man, on the basis of which God is brought into the equation. We may concede some truth to Tillich's insights, insofar as these show that God's revelation in Christ does not fall perpendicularly from heaven onto barren ground, tabula rasa. However, in Teelick's case, we are dealing with a construct that attributes qualities to the realm of natural or general revelation that must be transformed and corrected through the special revelation of the gospel.
1: Okay, break that down.
0: Right. Well, we started off talking about that, is that I can read the teachings of the Buddha, I can read Taoism, I can read Plato, for example, and come to a general understanding or a general recognition. Hey, there's a God that's called Mm, general. I can walk around in nature and watch ants crawl up a log and say, wow, something must've created this. This is amazing. But it, it it doesn't reveal who God is for me (laughs) specifically. There's no specificity to believing in God in a general sense. God is a noun, like table is a noun. Hmm. So saying, well, I believe in God actually means nothing. It's it's essentially one of the most nihilistic things you can confess is I believe in God. That's like saying I want to get better at Muay Thai. Well, what does that mm. even mean? <laughs> and what actually ends up happening is you quit Muay Thai because you realize I'm not getting better. Well, you never define what better is. That's why. Likewise, I believe in God. Okay, which one? There's lots. That's why I tell yeah. my kids all the time in Confirmation. What's his name? <laughs> we don't believe in God. We believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in Jesus. And the mm-hmm. reason is there are lots of gods competing for your time and attention. So saying I believe in God may actually lead you to worship other gods.
1: Yeah, because we all believe in the same one, right.
0: right? I like tables. They're useful. But I need a specific kind of table for my living room and a specific kind of table for my kitchen. I don't want a coffee table in my kitchen.
1: And, he, you know, so Tillich, who he's quoting here, I mean, he's caught up in the whole uh, ecumenical movement. Right, you know, he idea was of, very much let's so. try to, Yeah, let's try to bring all the Protestant, especially Christian churches, together. Right. Um, but then also, it, it's clear he's also trying to uh, draw kind of this generic religiosity together. Mm-hmm. You know, can't we all just get along? It's interesting, because um, I actually went to Tillich's grave before I even know who he was. Mm-hmm because he's buried in indiana of all places nice it's in new harmony indiana ha there you go so he would spend his summers there sitting by the lake which is where his uh mausoleum is and uh you know looking out over the lake and and pondering the greater things of this of of the scriptures i guess nice. Um, he's a systematic theologian but yeah he was totally caught up in the whole um you know let's get all let's just let's all well who was his friend uh uh, Niebuhr was his friend. Yes.
0: Yep. The Niebuhr boys. Really? <laughs> the Niebuhr boys. That's funny. Uh, times uh, man of the year, Reinhold. Was he? Yeah. Times man of the year. I think twice, actually.
1: Really?
0: Yeah. It was either H. Richard or Reinhold. Maybe it was H. Richard. One of the two Niebuhrs. Yeah, back in the days when Christians actually were considered public intellects and were welcomed into polite conversation.
1: Oh, that's right, because you would have, uh, who was the Catholic um, televangelist, the kind of the early pioneer, he was on the cover once, Uh, he had the show on Sunday night, I can't remember what that was called.
0: So then to jump back into it, moreover, it needs to be stated clearly the gospel does not affirm man in his worldly existence, but rather takes him out of his worldly existence, confronts him with eschatology, and provides him with the certainty of salvation in view of Christ's return as judge, like we were discussing.
1: Takes him above his just mere creatureliness to recognize the the bigger reality of his life,
0: right? Right, exactly. Is that the, saying... um hey, God loves you just the way you are, for example, like I said, is essentially a nihilist. It's a statement of nothing. Because what what does that mean? God loves you, first of all. What does love mean? What what God are we talking about here? God is love. Not outside of Jesus, because that's kind of the point, is that God is love, Jesus is God, therefore Jesus is love. So if we're going to talk about love in a theological sense, we're talking about the person of Jesus. And therefore, we're asking, where is Jesus present for me in a concrete, real way? Well, the (laughs) gifts. And so how can you talk about God's love outside the gifts?
1: That's more than an abstract concept of love, which is what he's getting at here. But it's a very, very much has been transformer-corrected by God's word, to be very specific, living and active, right? Uh, like a sword, sharper than a two-edged sword. Exactly. You know, d- doing what it says it does, and not just being a, um, just nice, pretty words that uh, give us kind of instruction or, or moral guidance or something right. like that.
0: Well, and this is the danger, as he's trying to point to, of, especially in relation to the topic of this book, which is being a missionary or, or mm-hmm. missional, mm-hmm. however you want to say it, adverbs, is that... What exactly are we preaching when we walk out the door, let alone go to another country or another culture? And if our, con- or if our confession of Jesus isn't tuned up, if justification by faith alone through Christ alone isn't tuned up, then are we really saying, and I've, I've made this argument myself as a former atheist, we've talked about this a lot. When I studied all of these different religions to try and figure out which religion really understood God. I came out the other side saying they all seem to be teaching me the same thing. And then when I did hear the gospel, I went, oh, that's different. Right. Now, why is it different? Well, it's very specific. It's about Jesus. And I can understand then why a guy like Tillich or the Niebuhr boys or in the present tense, anyone who's trying to erase the differences, the wall of division between different religions, why you want to de-emphasize the specificity. Mm-hmm. Of how God communicates His love to us in a very particular way, which is words, water, bread, and wine. Yeah, because that would actually require me then to have to go to a church. It's like my friend said; he had a, he talked with a couple who said, "Well, we've gone to a lot of different churches, and and we've just decided church isn't for us." And he said, "Well, how many churches have you gone to?" And they said three. And he said, "You know, hmm. there's like three hundred ten thousand churches in the United States or in North mm-hmm. America. Right? You went right. to three. <laughs>
1: Right, and he probably went to each one only once, yes. which isn't necessarily a representative right. experience or, right. of what they might hear. Right. You know, exactly. Uh, there's, like we said, there's like
0: 32,000 church groups in the world. You know? yeah. <laughs> and then in the United States, there's over there's hundreds of thousands of so-called churches in the United States, whether that be from house church to storefront church to just big old cathedral churches. There's a lot. So saying I went to three churches and we just decided church ain't for me, Really? Or like Eugene Peterson says, don't go to a church once or twice or three times. Go there and stay there for like six months, nine months. And Peterson, because he came out of a church planting church growth um, yeah. mindset and moved to Montana and went, nope, small is beautiful. Find a little congregation, pastor it, tend it like a gardener. Don't you know, outstretch your own reach and just be satisfied with your little patch of ground that the Lord has given you to care for. He's saying, go find some small church that has no money, that doesn't have big programs, maybe doesn't even have a budget, and stay there for six to nine months, and then decide whether that's the church for you or not. Because are you listening for the gospel being preached and the gifts to be delivered? Or are you just basing it on aesthetic principles? I feel loved. I feel accepted. Those are fine, but I get that stuff when I go to my academy. You need to mute your phone. That's not my phone. That's my laptop. It's Borgard. I just told him that Kuhlman might accept a call to Louisiana. <laughs> He's going insane.
1: <laughs> Bonkers. Oh, back to the back to the topic. I think the other um, aspect of this is, yeah, you can remove all kind of distinctions, and, and in an attempt to try to bring everybody onto the same page. Uh, but then the flip side of this is, is we like to set up all sorts of barriers, you know. Uh, what do you want to say? Cost of entry to say, well, you've got to, you've got to buy on to all of our social agendas, mm-hmm. whether they're liberal or conservative, it doesn't really matter at this right. point. Um, you have to, you have to buy into either our, our views on ho- homosexuality, positive or negative, or uh, marriage in general, or um, abortion you know, or abortion or, yeah, or worship. Right. right. And you have whichever, whichever ditch you want to fall in or good confession, bad confession isn't really the point is that we set up all these other things to offend people. Really, right. Um, and rather than actually let the thing that, that should be the the main offense is that Jesus died for them, right? That'll and that'll spin out, of course. You um, say, well, why does he need to die for me, mm-hmm. right? Which we've talked about at length, but um, but you know, not set up all these other barriers to them ever actually hearing Jesus died for you, right, right. Yeah. So so you think about how offended people are by Christians today and they're not actually offended by Christ. They're actually mm-hmm. offended by... The social policies. Just, yeah, our social policies and, and what, you know, the fact that all that we talk about publicly um, are, you know, we're not getting our IRS tax breaks so they're going to take away our housing allowance right. or, you know, just really what is kind of silly or petty things in the big scheme of things. Right. Puppy
0: sins. Yeah. And barely that even. And that's yeah, a key point too is that when we preach Christ and him crucified for sinners,
2: mm.
0: you must be a sinner. So we have to go into that now. And like you said, that's the offense of the cross is, and but that's the eschatological bite of the gospel is, the Holy Spirit's come from the future. And to let you know, there is judgment, but it, it could be justification. It can be. It is justification for those who are in Christ. But this is also to a, a finer point too, is that all religions have judgment. Mm, that's true. <laughs> the gods of all of these other religions judge. And there is yep. a final judgment. There's a Ragnarok. Hmm. And so, by saying to people, well, Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. Well, guess what? So is Odin <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: in the final battle with Surtur. So, be more specific. So is the law. So is... Yeah, right. Is that all of these religions have a, a, some kind of judgment at the last day when everything comes down. But the eschatological bite of the gospel is you don't have to worry anymore because he will raise me and all the dead and give to me and all believers in jesus christ eternal life Third article the mm-hmm. creed stuff we can't really talk about anything regarding our religion without talking about jesus
2: yeah
1: but but but, but what must i do
0: and so yeah saying well hmm. judgment day is coming and don't you want to be on the right side of the judgment well but that's what i believe about my God, and in my theology, in my belief system, there's a judgment too. And if I leave my my religion, I will be judged by my God at the last day. And so, you're not telling someone of a different religion anything that they don't already believe. If you're saying, "Well, you need to convert because Jesus is coming back and He's going to judge you," rather, Jesus is coming back and He wants to justify you. Is a whole, it's like saying, "What must I do to be saved from judgment?" Mm-hmm. Versus right. Jesus already did everything to save you from judgment.
1: Not what must I do to be saved. Right. Um, but what ha- really, what has Jesus done for me right. that I answer? And so it? saying,
0: well, you're not going to be judged because God loves you mm. is as empty and worthless a platitude as anything you're likely to hear. Yeah. Like saying, I like tables.
1: <laughs> so close, but yet so close. Right, far. exactly. Yeah. That's called a, a whiff. <laughs>
0: a whiff. Big whiff. <laughs> a lot of air. <laughs> so the gospel thus transforms man. And this is a much more radical concept than the sterile religiosity Teelekin advocates. The word of God addresses the conscience and corrects and rebukes all pre-existing religious notions. I need to correct one thing for everybody. When he says conscience, he does not mean Jiminy Cricket or an angel and a devil sitting on your shoulders. That's an enlightenment idea. What he means is literally in the pre-modern sense of what is your sense of standing in relation to God and your neighbor?
1: Right. Yeah. He's talking about this. That's what
0: conscience. conscience is. Conscience is, am I damned or am I saved? And as a pastor, Luther, I deal with this constant is this Luther's torment of conscience was, right. what, what must I do you know, to please an angry God? Exactly. Kind of Not, mm-hmm. am I good enough or am I too bad to get into heaven, which is why most people function in a Jiminy Cricket kind of theology. Versus, no, you don't understand. What is your stance of, when, when at the end of the divine service, I speak the ironic blessing to you. That is there to soothe your conscience, to say to you, mm-hmm. this is your relation to God as you leave this place, as you're poured yeah, out. God in the has has brought you into rightness or into justness. And like you said, him. the gospel is restorative hmm? and the restoration is just that. You who once called God enemy now know there was never a fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the, uh,
1: there's also a conversation about good conscience and bad conscience. Right. and, and, Often the bad conscience is really a misinformed conscience. We think of our relationship to God incorrectly um, because we think of it outside of what he's revealed to us in Jesus Christ. So we we would say, well, God's going to angry with us because of what I did. Well, the only way you can come to that conclusion is if you deny what he's already told you in the scriptures about um, the forgiveness of sins, for example, right? So a good conscience sets it right. Exactly,
0: yeah. Well, in the same way that we want to possess and own people, we then Mm. understand or comprehend our relationship to divinity the same way. Well, God wants to own and possess us. Because when we read things like, well, I'm a jealous and vengeful God, we read that in the same way that we actually exercise vengeance (laughs) and jealousy. And I even talk about this in relation to my children, that I am jealously vengeful of my children in the sense of, if you touch my child, I will kill you
2: Mm -hmm. without
0: hesitation, um, because I love them that much. And everybody who encounters me, who's a stranger, who tries to be nice to my kids, knows that when I say, don't touch my children. Now, they're trying to be Minnesota nice. And I'm Mm -hmm. saying, I don't know you. I don't trust you. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know who you are. And who are you to put your hands on my children? As a father under the fourth commandment, I have basically a charge to watch over and protect my children, to be jealous and to be vengeful. And I take that very seriously. And, but yet, as a pastor, I'm the same way towards my own congregation members, which is if you try and mislead them or lead them away from Christ and the gospel, I will behave jealously and vengefully toward you. <laughs> and yet, that's not my primary message as a father or as a pastor. My primary message is one of forgiveness and mercy. But outside of Jesus, what does that forgiveness and mercy look like? Right? Is it, well, I'm going to allow you to walk away with your hand still intact, not broken, or is it you didn't know, now you know, so forgive me if I was a little bit super aggressive there for a second, I'm kind of jealous about my kids and protective of them, didn't really mean to come off so strong, but for me anyways, the only way that I can ask for neighborly forgiveness is because I am clinging to that absolute absolution that comes out of my baptismal grace.
1: Well, and God threatens to punish those who lead any of his little ones astray. Right. Right. And that's not just, you know, a pastor who teaches falsely, but it it can be a friend or whoever, right, right, that leads somebody uh, away from from faith. Uh, And so that, um, you know, you can't be negligent, you know, Mm -hmm. in good conscience uh, when you see that happening, of course, Uh, especially because you've been given that vocation as as someone's pastor or as your children's father or whatever that is.
0: And the key point, Um, too, is under the law, there is no mercy. Mm-mm. i mean you may you may call it mercy and act as if it's merciful but under the law the law has shows again go to court and listen to a judge render a verdict and a sentence if they interpret the spirit of the law they might show mercy to the to the defendant but if they go by the letter of the law you're going to get what the law says you get period and there are some judges that i've engaged with who are about the letter of the law if it says 20 years you're getting 20 years and not a day it's less like
1: a- it's like the the Speedo-wearing judge on Justified.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, I love him. and uh, So you're in He's season three. A Good. Good. Yep. yep. Uh, versus a, oh, he in season two, but I am in season three. <laughs> yeah, but, but versus a judge who, we wouldn't even say this as pastors that we do this, that we try and interpret the spirit of the law when it comes to confession. Those who are unrepentant or hard-hearted or stiff-necked, we go by the letter of the law versus those who come who are repentant we go by the spirit of the law, which is, we would call that the second used to to hold that mirror up to you to say, oh, you're a sinner. And they say, yeah, I'm a sinner. And you're like, you need Jesus versus, no, I'm not that bad. Oh, well, then you need more Moses. Right. Yeah. And not in the way of, I need to punish you for not being repentant enough, but rather, you don't recognize how desperately you need Jesus.
1: Right. right, but going after someone who who is specifically leading somebody away from the gospel, whether it's you know one of your children or a member of your parish, right. uh, that yes, that's the law that's being exercised there. But but it's really
0: a defense of the gospel. Ultimately, I would argue that, yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, and the 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 gospel is worth dying over. <laughs>
0: Apparently, <laughs> to the to the dude who brought it to us, it was worth dying for. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, what kind of message uh, is preached and it brings death and yet continues to have its power and effect upon the world even after both the founder and then the the first generation of followers died at the hands of... Right. And this goes to the root of this
0: love conversation too, is the fruit of faith in Christ is love for a neighbor. You love as you have been loved. It's not because I love you, it leads me to faith or greater faith or deeper faith. It's rather... My focus on Jesus, when I turn around then, I see one for whom Jesus died. Not just a creature of God, but Jesus died for you. And you don't know that. You don't recognize that. And so I'm here to tell you, oh, if you want to enjoy love that you've never experienced before, you can only actually get it by way of Jesus and the gifts.
1: Right. And the way that they might learn that most vividly or poignantly is if you take the bullet for them. Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, that you actually lay down your life for them and and well that's paul's that point they, right no
0: no greater love or no jesus i'm sorry well farewell discourse there's no mm-hmm, greater yeah. love that, that that you could possibly have than that you laid on your life for your friends
1: yeah and uh you know the fallout will be um that they come to learn uh, why you gave your life for them right you know if the confession of your mouth was Christ and Him crucified, it's going to come out. Right. That this this is the this is the only way that somebody could do this for me.
0: And yeah, yeah, and this is a key point too: is that the gospel does transform a man; it changes his heart from a a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. But it doesn't transform you in the way of becoming a more moral person or a better person, so to speak. But rather, mm-hmm. it transforms you into a person who makes more and more of Jesus. Yeah. Which, as you point out, though, also means you got to die more. <laughs> So that he might be an all in all. And you recognize in your death is your salvation because it's really the only time you're not sinning.
2: Hmm.
0: The only time you're not fighting against the gospel and grace is when you're dead. And then you'll Hmm. take, like Lazarus, you'll take anything that you get when Jesus comes along. But we're so afraid of death. We're so afraid of not existing, not being, that we do, we just, we'll put anything in the way. People, things, doesn't matter. We'll throw anything we can to try and stop from having to die. Well, we
1: don't want to, and we especially don't want to give up by death, the things that we most hold on to, which are probably our own estimation, our own pride, our ego. Right. You know, the things that we love the most is really probably ourselves. Well, <laughs> the obviously, yeah, in the end. It's yeah. always that way. Yeah. So who wants to give that up?
0: <laughs> I love me more than anybody. Why would I want to give up on me? I can't quit it's me. It's all about me. Right. It's all about me. Team me first, baby. So, the Word of God addresses the conscience and corrects and rebukes all pre-existing religious notions. The Holy Spirit comes to do what? To convict the world of? Hmm. Sin. Sin, righteousness. Sin, and judgment. righteousness, judgment. <laughs> Thus, the ultimate purpose of sharing the gospel with others is to bring the horizon of their reality, great choice of words there, to Christ as judge and redeemer. Christian witness brings others before the presence of the tribunal of God who judges and accuses, but who also resurrects through the gospel to faith. Yeah, and the butt is a gospel butt there. Right, the gospel but. That Jesus does come as judge, and he judges those who, well, the religious leaders, for example, is that he comes mm-hmm. for them. He comes to seek and save them. They're just as lost as the tax collectors and prostitutes. The difference being the prostitute washes his feet with her hair and her tears, whereas the Pharisee pushes himself back from the table and says, who let her in here? Right, and as and then, I said before, look, Jesus never excommunicates the Pharisees. He simply allows them to excommunicate themselves.
1: Right, and lo and behold, uh, who comes to help, to bury him secretly yeah. for fear, but yeah. yet, um, you know, we're not on
0: board with the rest of his tribe. <laughs> right, exactly, and that's yeah. why in in John's Gospel, when Nicodemus tries to stand up for Jesus, they go, "Oh, are you are you a Galilean too? You you mm-hmm. you must. Are you a Nazarene like?" What's your problem, man? Oh, I, I know.
1: I love that racial tribalism. That they right, bring exactly. Out, or
0: geographic tribalism, really. Yeah, exactly. And racial. It's like, you sound like you're from the South too. What do you, are you want to the- <laughs> Yeah, I just, I love that when they throw that at Nicodemus in chapter eight, I think of John's gospel it is. It's fascinating though that, yeah, he's just like, hey man, I'm just saying, maybe we should take it easy on that. He doesn't even like defend Jesus. He's just like. Has anybody even checked this story out yet? Like, has anybody verified this is a fact? And they're like, oh, I see what you're doing there.
1: <laughs> you're yeah. So you're from the South, Galilee. Well, it's the North, but North. whatever. Uh, figuratively South. You're a and Yankee. then, and you're a Nazarene, which is like this weird, weird religious cult right. sect. Right. Yeah. And uh, was, uh, you're one of those wacky guys, right?
0: right. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. Again, nothing ever changes. Oh, you're defending him now, so you must agree with him.
1: Did Jesus never cut his hair?
0: Like it's like, I don't like know if I agree rights? with him or not because he said some stuff that I can't wrap my brain around.
1: So yeah, like I'm coming to your house today,
0: right? right exactly. Get out the guac. I'm coming for dinner. <laughs> That's hard enough to get get your
1: head around, right? You know what? What is this great teacher who you know the world is following after? Right. Um, the whole, as the Pharisee said about him, right? Yeah. And you know the whole world's following after him. What, what's What's he doing coming to my house? <laughs>
0: yeah. Blew my mind. Right. So that's what that's what Schultz is after is that we are going to especially in the mission of the church we are going to engage and interact with people of other beliefs, other faiths. The point though is that we don't try and dissolve the differences in order to um cater to these other people that somehow if we just erode or erase the differences or pretend that we don't have differences Big differences that that will mm-hmm. then bring people into their, our communion. It will convert people to our cause, right. right? But also not
1: to let all the religious trappings be the be the offensive point, right?
0: Right, exactly. You
1: know, um, but actually get to the get to the point.
0: Right, imams dress up like wizards too, same as us, just same. So there's nothing fancy about that. And we could we could the thing is we could again, we could engage in an ecumenical dialogue and build a church with Jews and Muslims, Orthodox Jews and Muslims, by simply saying, We're against abortion. And they'll say mm-hmm. we are too. Great. Now we're in agreement. Let's worship together.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh it's it's kinda it's almost childish. I mean, it just seems yeah. like it seems absurd to us, but and yet it happens
0: so often. Well, well that's why, yeah. Suffer not the little children to come unto me. And we think he's just talking about actual, like, age limitations. Right. So, I mean,
1: I've been involved in these interfaith kind of groups, mm -hmm, uh, like the interfaith uh, food bank or whatever. And, uh, uh, yeah, we can can agree that our neighbor needs to be fed. That's not a problem, actually. Um, And... But that doesn't... That doesn't minimize, minimize or eliminate the, other dist- the distinction of faith, actually, right. what, we, what we believe. And so let's be intellectually honest about that. Right. If right? you die
0: with a full belly or an empty belly, you're still going to die. Mm. That's not the question. Yeah. It's kind of uh, temporary versus uh, long term. Mm. Right. And, this is, and that's a good point, too, is do we see these conversations in relation to eternity, eschatolo- the eschatological mm-hmm. distinction here, or do we see these things in terms of the calendar? Like, i got to close the deal here. we got to do this now. Yeah. we need a temporary I think we, fix to a permanent problem we tend to play the long game um if we're doing it right if, if you're doing up. it right it is the long game because you're justifying by faith mm-hmm. and therefore there is hope in that because it's not what you can measure you can't quantify justification by faith all you mm-hmm. can do is listen for the confession right and that as you know as a pastor too that can change literally from day to day or week to week depending on the person that you're talking to
1: yeah it can be a gradual it can
0: be overnight it it, it right really there's some people i thought i could never reach mm-hmm. that will all of a sudden say yeah i need more of that and there's people that i think i'm 100 in tune with who just walk away and i'm left asking what happened well i never really believed any of this to begin with what like why yeah, didn't you say exactly. anything <laughs> right <laughs> yeah we could have worked on that right at least talked about it but hmm. but in in matters of social causes yeah it's pretty easy to come to agreement on things like that ideologically yeah. speaking like you said i I'm an activist in my community. I hmm. interact with lots of different denominations and, and religions and non-religious people all the time. In fact, I would say that the, the number one religion in my area is liberalism. Yeah. <laughs> the leftists it's really in my community exactly are a the... tightly held religious belief, that's correct. Right, exactly. With
1: practices and forms of
0: worship. <laughs> right. And this is the point is that someone can say, but I thought you were a conservative Christian or you're con- you Lutherans are conservative. I'm like- just because I'm theologically conservative doesn't mean that I can't be. So, that when did feeding the poor become a, a liberal versus conservative issue? Why is this political? Now these things tend to uh, move fluidly between. Well, they have to because we need to know who's on a, who's on our team. Like, are you with us? Or it's like, and that's why I don't get along with anybody. Probably because I think for myself. But it's like I'm just saying. Like I see a need, so I'm gonna I'm gonna address it because I have the the resources and the ability. Like I can do that. I can address that. And I don't Mm -hmm. care that it's a Roman Catholic charity. They're just the best at what they do in my community. So I'm going to help them. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to go to mass on Sunday. I mean, let's be clear here, but it is, it's, it's a, it's a, to me anyways, it's a lack of nuance. It's a lack of ability to see the big picture. And you, you hunker down in your tribe, you hunker down and say, well, I'm for team blue and you're for team red. So we can't get along. But then when it, but when it comes to matters of faith, we say, well, I'm on Team Blue or I'm on Team Red, too. And that's when things get confusing.
1: And it and it's true. For everybody involved in that Roman parish um, food ministry, it's, it is a religious work for them. It is right? for them, yes. Yeah. But it is for you, too, but not in a sense of merit or worth or right. trying to gain some standing before God. I do it because I'm
0: actually free in Christ to do it. <laughs> right, exactly.
1: So it it is coming as a fruit of faith. Right. Right. So it is, in that sense, religious. Um, but... But it, the nuance of it, I mean, so that's why you just don't, you can't even get into that conversation um, in a way because it's it's just, it's fraught with landmines and you have to get to Christ and, and preach Christ and then, yeah. then the works.
0: But the thing is too, the people that I, the people we work with there at the Catholic charity, they're devout Catholics.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There's no, there's no confusion whatsoever that they and I don't believe yeah. the same things.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully. <laughs> and they recognize that too. And, and we even
0: yeah. joke about it. They call me Catholic light. They're like, you're Diet Coke. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, like, you're caramel syrup with no fizz. I'm like, (laughs) but that's what I mean is that because we're very clear in our confession, we -hmm. also recognize that, oh, okay, you're doing the sacrifice of the mass thing over here. And we're doing the sacramental thing over here. And these are not the same things. And Mm -hmm. so, but we don't have to pretend they're the same things because that's not what we're about when we do this thing together. This is an act Mm -hmm. of mercy. This is a work of mercy. And so ultimately we both believe we're doing it because of, our faith or in that you know the fruit of faith sure. is love we still we agree on that it's just that they think it merits salvation or grace or whatever whereas i don't <laughs> right but but
1: the basis upon doing it even if that's the ultimate basis it probably these are our neighbors um correct these are people who need need our care or love right we have compassion on them we have sympathy for them because
0: um because of their their and difficulty what? or maybe we were there i'm the only lutheran pastor they talk to that actually believes what the catechism teaches. Because we've had that conversation too. Mm, no, that's ugly. That's not talking Well, it's about not that. ugly. It's just, for me, it's great because that's... Or unfortunate? The, well, no, to me, that just shows, here's an opportunity for me to actually evangelize. Mm, to okay. say, this is what we actually believe as Lutherans. Here's the actual catechetical teachings.
1: Oh, uh, I see. Because in their parish, their priest was probably teaching them some really distorted view of what Lutherans are.
0: And there are other Lutherans in the community that may not really that actually fit that distorted view are not catechetical let's put Mm -hmm, it that way again i have i get along with them too i have relationship with them we talk i I avoid their ministerial meetings like the plague because we're not confessing the same thing and that's like i said that's my distinction is like over here these are acts of love when we get together in a ministry kind of setting where we start talking about faith and we pray together i can't be a part of that because i can't even agree with you lutherans on this, mm-hmm. So I'm definitely not going to be able to agree with the Moravians over there and the Unitarians sitting over there and the Buddhist priest from up the road who came to sit in. And it's like, yeah, we know this is no, <laughs> this is not beggar stew. This is not the faith is not beggar stew. You can't just bring stuff and throw it in the pot.
1: It wouldn't be good for you. And it's not good for them
0: either. Well, it's What's a terrible that? witness because I'm mm-hmm. by I and I would argue in that sense, if I'm sitting there with them, I am basically saying I agree with what you're about here. And since I'm not,
1: I mean, especially if you're going to go pray around the flagpole or something, which um, is ridiculous, (laughs) but it's (laughs) civil religion or run
0: amok. I know.
1: Well, but that's, that's ultimately the easiest one for everybody to get around. Right. Because we all have that same citizenship,
0: right? There you go. We can agree on that. Just praying around a flagpole in general is there's several levels of idolatry going on there
1: simultaneously. I might as
0: well just decorate it as a maypole and get it over. Right, exactly. Just go all in because at least the maypole there's good. I mean, know, you can sing some good songs and you can have some fun with it. And pretty decorations. Yeah, exactly. Praying <laughs> while you're facing the flagpole, just yeah, like the Blair Witch Project of, <laughs> of prayers. I services. pledge
1: allegiance. That's the prayer.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so and I think this is a especially right now. When there's so much, obviously um, noise around identity politics in our culture mm-hmm. and and everything has changed so quickly, and Christendom is dead, and the corporate model of worship is or the corporate model of the church is dead, and churches are scrambling for some sort of organization or order, and the pressure Future, on really us, and hope right right, and the pressure on a, on us as Christians is to constantly adapt ourselves to the culture. Otherwise we're, mm-hmm. we are, we're called, or in some cases, depending on what state you live in, they're legislating this stuff now too. Yeah. That's the Supreme court just made that decision about the, is the Colorado baker? Yeah. Yeah. Is like, what is freedom of religious expression? What is the freedom to practice your religion? Does that extend to your vocation?
1: Did you see the story? He's out, um, uh, um, uh, he's got picketers out in front of him. Yeah. LBGT people right. Q people right. picketing. Uh, but he takes some cookies every day. Right, exactly. And he, and he bakes them he actually makes rainbow cookies. Exactly. And he hands them out to people. And he's not mocking them. No. He's just saying, look, I can give you a cookie. Right. I, I just don't want to participate in your wedding. Exactly. I don't, I don't morally agree with that. But that's
0: that. my and that's a great example of people nowadays expect you you're either all in or you're not in. It, right. Again, tribalism run amok. It's toxic tribalism is to say, I can actually love you and still not affirm what you're doing or saying. Right. Here, have a cookie. But so much, again, even in our own church, it is, no, you can't. Because one, it's it's binary. If you do one, Mm. then it equals the other. It's like, no, I can actually love my neighbor for my neighbor's sake. Because I believe being kind to my neighbor and loving my neighbor is the goal and purpose of life. And being a jerk and being cynical and negative towards them is not going to open up a conversation that leads to preaching Jesus for them. It's not going to
1: shut down that communication. Exactly. You just shut it
0: down. And so I think he's doing a great job, not only just again, business wise, he's doing a great job to show the community at large. I'm not a monster. I'm not some Westboro Baptist kind of Christian who's saying all, you know, God hates fags. What I'm saying is as a business owner and as a Christian, I don't want to, like you said, I don't want to participate in that because it goes against my beliefs, Mm -hmm. but because it's
1: a religious, it's a religious ceremony, right? Right. I mean, it's a, it's a, um,
0: what do you want to say? It's a civil religious ceremony, but it is. But I mean, you're, but you, you're still you treating the... it like it's sacramental, whether you're aware mm-hmm. of that or not. Yeah. And yeah, it's civil religious, but why are you treating it like it's a sacrament then? <laughs> like
1: Right, because it's that important to you that you're holding on to it
0: religiously. Right. Do you actually believe in the same God that the baker believes in? Like are you getting married in in the church that the baker attends or a church at all? You know, who's who's officiating the wedding? Like what exactly or is it just he's not affirming you in this one aspect of your life, and oh by the way, this aspect of your life is your identity. It forms a majority of how you identify and define yourself. And to have somebody say, Well, I don't agree with you, or I don't agree with your identity, or I don't even want to participate in the game. Why is that offensive? If you're solid in your beliefs, if you're if you're well grounded in your beliefs, your ideology, people disagreeing with you isn't it's not a threat. This is why you can talk you can look at people like Jordan Peterson or Dave Rubin or Ben Shapiro or whoever it might be, who will sit down and talk with people that they are diametrically opposed to ideologically. And yet they can have a really good conversation with those people because they're saying, yeah, we disagree, but let's talk about our disagreements. Let's figure out what and what drives those conversations is curiosity. I wanna know what you actually believe and I want it to come out of your own mouth.
1: And sometimes they'll avoid the obvious landmines, sure. And they'll only discuss kind of the things that they have some degree right. of, of agreement upon. And sometimes they actually go right at the right at the distinction right. between well, them. It's
0: like when when Ben Shapiro talks with Jordan Peterson, they're trying to suss out what they mean by God, because he's an observant mm. Jew. And Peterson's right. theology is really kind of amoebic. Versus when he's talking with Joel <laughs> Rogan, who who admits he's agnostic and Ben Shapiro is an observant Jew. We don't even have to go there then, because we know these are the these are the ground rules. You you're right. on the fence about the whole divinity thing, and I'm. Friendly. We're going to talk
1: politics. We're right. going to talk wisdom, exactly. or, or something else. Yeah.
0: And yet, you can see Jordan Peterson and Sam talk about truth, <laughs> argue about truth, which is just not even really a conversation that we have anymore, because we, we mm-hmm. lack so many public intellectuals. That Sam right. Harris. Well, we lack.
1: We lack like the ability to think in a nuanced way, right? right?
0: Exactly, and so we can't even talk yeah. about the nature of truth, for example, or, um, and as we as Christians would say, well, again, truth isn't an idea; it's a person, and so we have to right, distinguish.
1: I think that's because you know, in our in our, at least in our circle, that the desire to try to eliminate reason and strength from matters of faith, uh, we've like we talked about way at the beginning of the show. Um, we still need reason and strength. We need wisdom in order to learn how to relate to one another, right? Right. Or to relate to one another well. Um, and that conversation, you know, the, the conversation of the philosopher is still a value to us. Maybe not in terms of, of faith, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but certainly um, it is needed, you know, in how to live together in harmony and union, you know, whether it's marriage or society. Mm.
0: But in an apologetic evangelical sense, it does help us because as mm, that's right, it opens the door, like you said, it opens the door to, hey, like I, again, when I talk with agnostics and atheists, they all believe in love too. They believe in love and yeah. being love and, and kind. And they believe that's the goal and purpose of life too. But then I'm working backwards from that to say, it's the goal and purpose of this life. Yes. But it's not the ultimate goal and purpose of, you know, why you're here. There's more to just that, just encouraging and caring about each other. There like, is uh, like,
1: like Rod says, stuff. it gets you on the front porch.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, it gets you on the front porch, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's the place that we can start the conversation at, but we can't end it there. Otherwise, yeah, we get in trouble. So that's the end of that for today. And um, you have anything to add?
1: No, how about the text? <laughs>
0: Because I've got, I've been listening to a lot of Eddie Hazel and Donnie Hathaway lately.
1: I don't know these guys. Who are these?
0: Um, well, as I said to my children the other day when I shouted at them for speaking or trying to sing along with Donnie Hathaway when they didn't know the song, Donnie Hathaway is essentially the closest thing to a sacrament <laughs> for me, musically, that there is. Um, for me, he's the, he's the greatest soul singer ever. Like, even maybe with Sam Cooke. Like, he's up there with Sam Cooke as far as I'm concerned. Um, and Eddie something. Hazel, he was the guitarist, the original guitarist for Funkadelic. Parliament oh, like really? Funkadelic. And so yeah. you listen to Maggot Brain, that's his guitar. He and Bernie Worrell, the organist, essentially made those albums. Like, that's their babies. They composed most of the music. They put together the songs. So. Um, and he was, at the time, he was touted as the next Jimi Hendrix, Eddie Hazel was. Um, and so he put out one solo album in his lifetime, yeah cuz he had a few drug problems um it's amazing and so list i I always go back to Eddie Hazel and Donnie Hathaway for me it's just there there's nothing that even compares to those guys like for me Donnie Hathaway is way better than Marvin Gaye way better but Marvin Gaye is the more popular one
1: yeah well he's more accessible
0: yeah. probably Um, and yet you listen to Donny Hathaway, like in the ghetto, for example, which is one of his most popular songs. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, this is the seventies. And so his songs are about black empowerment and they're about life in the ghetto and they're about life growing up black in America and stuff like that. And so they're,
1: yeah, it's really a beautiful song.
0: It is very much so. And he's a brilliant, um, pianist, organist, musician, you know, I just, I love everything he does.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um, Yeah. And I, I, I'm i trying to wean myself off of Britain's Got Talent and uh, The X, and The Voice. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, I had a really bad allergy attack and was kind of laid low for a weekend. And I knew I was sick when I started going down the rabbit hole on YouTube of Britain's Got Talent and X Factor and The Voice competitions. <laughs> and yeah,
1: well, at least, at least Britain's Got Talent. There's a lot of diversity on that
0: show. Well, I was just watching There's, the highlights because, okay. yeah, like just the best. So, you know. But what you realize is that there are a lot of people who are really great karaoke singers. That's right. Who go on these shows? They're great singers. They're they're great at karaoke, but they don't have the substance or the timber of a Whitney Houston, for example, or a Sam Cooke. Yeah. And yet, yeah. Well, that charisma, even right, right, it comes through the music. Like you can just turn on, listen to Spotify, and there's just certain people when they sing, you're like, oh, okay, I'm going with, I'm going to go along on this ride.
1: Yeah. Amy Winehouse
0: was that way. Right, you know, my wife and I cuz my wife's classically trained as a singer, we talk about it as the substance that's underneath the sound. That when they sing, there's there's a substance underneath it. Like when Whitney Houston hits those notes or even Adele, like when Adele mm-hmm. sings, there's a substance to her voice that when somebody else sings her songs, you go, "Oh, what's missing is that that timber, that that resonance, that substance." There's a yeah, weight, a gravity to it. Is it
1: physiological, it. or do, I mean, we have a lot of different terms for it. Sometimes passion, or yeah. soul, yeah, right, soul, or or if if you're like a um, jazz
0: player, you know,
1: it's the groove, right? Or, you know, but it's they, a, it's they,
0: a thing that there's a depth to the sound that when you listen to a thousand other singers, they don't have that.
1: Well, it's the, I think it's their body's response to rhythm, mm-hmm. timbre,
0: um, tempo, right.
2: Well, you're and, just born with and it. Tone.
0: You can learn to yeah. be a. You can learn to be a singer. You can learn to carry a tune. You can learn vibrato and so forth. But you can't learn that. You either have it or you don't.
1: Right, and like you said, really good karaoke has its place.
2: Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> you know, pop music but it's not is not going to be good karaoke singers. I mean,
1: yeah, I mean those are going to be the people that sing in the opera, but they're not going to be the soloists. They're going to be mm-hmm. people singing, right. you know, the bit parts, the choir parts, and. That, you know God bless them for that, it's a great thing. Um, but they're not the ones who are going to be selling mm-hmm. that, well, you big know, in a, in a
0: pop sense. You, when you listen to people sing Sia songs, cover Sia, you're like, Oh, it's mm-hmm. a good cover, but then you listen to Sia sing the song, and you're like, Oh, okay, I right. get it now. <laughs> she was born with that voice, that's her voice,
1: and, yeah, and for us, that would be somebody like Chris Cornell, right? Exactly, who,
0: whose voice wasn't exactly pretty, no, or Lane uh, Staley. For me, Lane like, Staley, same way. Yeah, <coughs> even my kids, like my 15 my year old, that's his favorite singer. Essentially, is Lane Staley. Yeah, that music this, is not exactly optimistic either. No, and he um, recognizes that he's not the most upbeat, positive person. But like when he when he's uh did the Mad Season record, mm-hmm, right? Land again and the other guys. He's like, oh, this is different. Right. We call that like vocal control, right? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so when you see someone nail an Eddie or a Donny Hathaway song or nail an Eddie Hazel song. You recognize, oh, this person's special. But we're so saturated with the same thing over and over and over again and indoctrinated into accepting pop music as the standard for perfection or, or whatever you want to call it. And then you do listen to Donny Hathaway sing or Marvin Gaye or, or Sam Cooke or something. You're like, oh, this is a different level. This is different. You yeah. don't have to like it, but you can... like. Again, I'm not a, a huge Whitney Houston fan. But when, no. she, when I hear when song, Houston am like oh yeah, she was she was special.
1: It's like the folks you know who follow the national anthem <laughs> and all the various ways it's sung. I mean, it, it's almost universal that that her performance. When was it? Like ninety three or something?
2: Yeah,
1: uh, World Series or I don't remember. It was some sporting event. You know, is the is the essential version at least in terms of like a pop rendition? And uh, why is that? And she just she gets it
0: right. You know? right you, she, you don't I, have to like the bodyguard soundtrack but some she she sings she sings speaking
1: of speaking of uh curious charismatic you know uh or just really musicians who get it i think the last episode i recommended uh, adrian Belutrio. trio yeah. yeah yeah um and then I, I discovered an album from last year that he did it was uh like one of these power power groups just really skilled people mm. um called gizmodrome oh really you heard Gizmo drum? No. Yeah. And the, Check the, it the out. drummer. The drummer is the guy from the police. What's his name? Stuart Copeland. Uh, Stuart Copeland. Yeah, so it's Stuart Copeland. Oh my goodness. And, uh, I'm done. You Adrian don't have to sell Blue. me
0: anymore. Like I'll listen to anything that Stuart Copeland
1: it's, does. And it's bizarre music in the way that is. Adrian Blue does. He's it's kind of progressive pop, if you like. Sure. You know, there's a lot of genre bending mm-hmm. and, and his guitar techniques that way. But uh really, really worth it. And actually, um, yeah, Stuart Copeland has been doing all sorts of unique collaborations. He did the the one with um uh what do you do with Primus? Uh, not with Primus, with um Claypool. Yeah, with Les Claypool. He did a collaboration with Les Claypool. Mm-hmm. It was he and then I forget who the who the guitarist was on that group. So the it's kind of this um you know, now that pop music especially in that in the in the more avant-garde rock disciplines, it's really just not economical. You're not making money off of albums. Right. They, they just do these fun. like like you mentioned Mad Season, that was a good example of that too where you just take these really talented people and you just try all these different combinations and just see what comes out mm-hmm. and just for the fun oh, of it, really. And then you go on tour and you sell merch and that's how you make your money. Um, and uh, so this is another one, Gizmodrome. Uh, it looks like it's a... It's a
0: CCCP, form. Les Clepool formed a supergroup with Neil Pert, Stuart Copeland, and Danny Carey of Tool. Oh, yeah, there's that one too. Because well, why Danny, have one Danny of Carey the best drummers the- in the world when you can have three? Oh, I right? think it's that's, called Oyster Oyster right? Oysterhead was with Stewart. There Colbert. was
1: Oyster Head, yeah. there was the Flying Frog Brigade. Yeah. There's all these different kind of nuanced um just different permutations. Right. Which I think they picked yeah. up from um Adrian Ballou's other collaboration. His kind of his big one was with King Crimson, mm-hmm. which he was in King Crimson for, forever. He still is. And um, and that's what that that's what began back back after in the court of the Crimson King. Yeah. With who's the guitarist? I'm losing names here was the founder of King Crimson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, it'll come to me. Fripp. But uh, yeah, Robert Fripp. Um, he kept through the whole all of the seventies, just kept you know two, mm-hmm. three albums, and then just rejigger the whole band and try right. to just trying to find. I don't know what he was trying to find, but trying to find you know the perfect combination. Right. Actually, the combination that he came across in the late nineties has really stuck since then. Mm-hmm. So so it's Baloo, it's Bill Bruford, and um, and then various other people come
0: into the mix. But those three
1: kind of being at the core
0: of it. Right. Well, again, it's so. that curiosity we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. The curiosity is there's got to be there's got to be a, a chemical equation that I can bring together in such a way that it creates this this brew, this music, yeah, that hits all the sweet spots, scratches the edge. Well,
1: I mean, I think we all do that. We look for collaborators. We, we'll, you know. Well, actually this podcast is like permutation of right that, exactly right? i was, you know, say it was that. born out of a different podcast where we tried you know just different combinations yeah, of exactly people and whatnot. it's all about the and it's just, it
0: is it's it's chemistry it's energy it's the mm-hmm. stuff that you can't quantify
1: no no
0: either and either you got it or you don't i guess there you go i don't know if we have it we uh, got something i guess we got, <laughs> whatever we keep doing right, it exactly. thanks for joining us <laughs> that's right exactly. at home night everybody <laughs> yeah but so that's all I got this week is is Eddie and Donnie Hathaway. I'm watching the staircase on Netflix this documentary about this court trial, which is fascinating and then there's another Netflix documentary I'm going to watch next about this love cult hmm. that moved up to it's called Wild Country, I think it is it's okay. called wild Country it's yeah, they built this essentially this compound or city out in the middle of nowhere in Oregon, I think, and that would make sense uh, yeah, of course it does <laughs> having lived in Oregon and my wife being from Oregon totally makes sense um yeah they just kind of moved into this community this small community and, and they laid down stakes of this it was a love cult and yeah. uh it's, the guy had like 50 rolls royces and it was just crazy people gave everything to this guru and gave up their life to join this this love cult
1: that sounds fun everybody's looking for
0: purpose well that was the 80s there were a lot of these things <laughs> in the 80s <laughs> i
1: suppose that was the Did golden you see Age. solo by the way i didn't, forgot to ask no. you that no, oh, you haven't seen it's it, not, so we can't talk about it. Even, not even a dime of my money is going to I'm, that. I'm, I'm sorry. I thought it would be miserably bad. I really did. Mm-hmm. I went in with very low expectations, mm-hmm. and um, I I think I enjoyed it as much as Rogue One.
0: Really? Yep. Well,
1: good. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fan service, mm-hmm. which is what you expect now from Disney Marvel. Right. you know, um, that was okay with me. Just can't do you it. You know? just another Star Wars story it's good I mean I read the books and I right. think if you're, if you're if you're into that where you recognize yeah a lot of the books are kind of lame and mm. they're not all that great but you just want more of the story you just want more stories right. if you approach it that way mm. um, I think it's I think it's more sure. than passable it was it was it had its it has its challenges of execution right but I think that's just you know firing the directors three quarters of the way through and
0: well that, I mean you saw that in The Hobbit for example mm-hmm. yeah there was definitely the vision of Guillermo del Toro and then you just throw it, you know. You throw. Him yeah, at let's the bring
1: Peter Jackson back, right. and let's apply all the grandiosity of of um,
0: of the Lord of the Rings trilogy right. to the to this. Children's and all book. it really, all it produced was a six-hour critical commentary on how bad the movie is. <laughs> well, actually,
1: I th- that's a good point. It's a, it is a critical commentary in the way of it's it's largely based on Christopher Tolkien's work. You know, the mm-hmm. grandson, and all of his like going through the barn and finding all these loose pieces of manuscript and early drafts and all and, and bringing that
0: all to bear right. it's like
1: yeah actually that stuff could have stayed buried in the barn okay? exactly there's a
0: reason it was buried in the barn but yeah. that's what happens when you live off your father's legacy
1: mm, or grandfather or I grandfather think. yeah i sorry grandfather that's right I think, I think Christopher's grandson right yeah I think so yeah I don't know how many of the kids are still living.
0: So, there so you go. So, good. So, what we're good. saying is avoid The Hobbit, and because <laughs> I unfortunately did watch that. And
1: um, I'm telling you, I, I think you might be surprised by
0: Solo. I'll, so. I'll watch it when it comes on HBO or something like that, or Netflix or wherever it ends up.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I it's a new I direction. Tap, I it's tapped clear. out
0: on the Star Wars stuff. Yeah. I tapped out. I just, last Jedi, did it from you, man. I'm just, I'm done. Brown, Eric Brown, Pastor Eric Brown, he's convinced that he's going to persuade me. Again, this is the guy who apologizes for the Clone Wars. Again, you, you might as well just tell me that you like you like watching crocodiles eat babies. At that point, because if you're going to defend the Clone Wars and apologize for that, you, you, we've, we're done. <laughs> Again, I will not cross the street for that conversation. That's yours. You can own that all by yourself.
1: <laughs> does he defend Revenge of the Sith as well?
0: Oh, I'm sure he does. He he's an apologist. He drank the Kool-Aid, the whole thing.
1: Eh, I don't know. I and think Brown,
0: you expect too Brown much can out can apologize of for movies. anything. You really expect too much. I'm more of a black and white guy. He's more of a meet-me-in-the-middle kind of guy.
2: Hmm. No. That's,
0: that's the best construction I can put on that, Eric. Sorry. Yeah,
1: yeah. You probably defend, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, Iron Man 2, right? No, that's a that's a... it's <laughs> okay. a terrible movie. It's a terrible movie. But you wouldn't say it's non-canonical.
0: Mm, well again i grew up i'm a comic book nerd so i no, i don't like like you said i go into the the marvel movies accepting the fact that it's just a hodgepodge of different storylines like black panther oh, and you actually, don't you
1: don't think you don't think of star wars that that is a kind of a comic book kind of universe uh
0: i do but not in the sense like it, for me like i nerd out on comics like that's what i that's my genre growing up like comic books and mm-hmm. so in the present tense, then when I see a comic book movie, whatever that, I, I don't have any expectations that it's really going to be, it's going to pick and choose the best parts of famous storylines. This is, this is, you know, um, what's his face who did, uh, Watchmen and Man of Steel, Zack Snyder. Zack no, Snyder's yeah. whole problem is he reads comic books. So he thinks he understands the characters when he doesn't understand the characters at all, which is, pr- right. you know, proven by the fact that when he makes these movies, these are not, these are not the comic book characters as the whichever storyline you pick you can't just pick like the dark knight returns for example and only like snatch the best parts of it oh yeah when they
1: do these amalgamations of right. different storylines it's like pick and choose. no you
0: don't get it like deadpool actually nails the comic book like if there's any comic book franchise that really nails the comic book it's deadpool i think 300 did at least the first movie. yeah 300 did because he was so slavishly like the watchman he just panel for panel he just goes panel by panel right let's recreate this exactly with and, and with yeah. Watchmen, yeah, you know, we have to change the ending but to me that actually made sense because the original the 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 original story you're like eh, giant space monster Meh. but the other way that they do it in, in the movie i was like nah actually i actually, more historical ending. i disagree yeah. i agree with the way they took the movie and for financial reasons you can't do that <laughs> um but then you look at man of steel or batman versus superman and it's like oh no dude you just don't know. No,
1: this is my kids. They're like, we really want to watch Justice League, and I'm like, no, you don't.
0: Uh, we did, and uh, I regretted it. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I I'm just like, I don't even. I, yeah, I don't want to pay for it at it's, all. It's and, narratively terrible. The CGI is terrible. But you could see it coming. Oh no, absolutely! Like my kids just. just I mean, the they, setup. Was my there. kids are like, we really want to watch. I'm like, fine, we'll rent it. It's four bucks or four ninety nine or whatever right. on iTunes, so we'll rent it, and. I was I didn't have anything better to do so I'm like I'll just sit down and watch it with you and I tuned out mm, pretty quickly after it started because I could see there's there was not actually, a popcorn in the world for this no I mean and I could see an actual like engaging storyline in the movie it just wasn't there like either you could see it flit across the screen every occasion where you're like oh there's the movie that they should have made. Yeah. My wow.
1: beloved franchise that was absolutely ruined was the Transformers series. Well, yeah. You know, and it was never that great in the first you place, the but touch. that isn't why I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, but um, you know, uh some of some of the animated features more recently have I really I think
0: right. gotten to the point of it, but Well, actually, that's the um, point with Batman too. Like the Batman anime and stuff is great. Yeah,
1: yeah, the anime is great. The so anyway, with Transformers. Uh, yeah, okay, do we really need another one? But the Bumblebee trailer actually it's kind of closer to what I would have expected. Uh, but who is not doing it? It's not Michael Bay. right? So, right. so I think the, the point is, yeah, when you have such a heavy-handed, creative, dictatorial, creative leadership right. like Michael Bay, like Zack Snyder, mm-hmm. it, it's bound to kind of be – when it's not collaborative, it, it just ends up being destructive.
0: Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. and it and alienates fans. And, and like you said, you kind of got to – for me, I just got to pick and choose the genre that I'm going to – kind of lift my filters and just say, I'm just yeah. gonna enjoy this for what it is. Like Infinity War. I enjoyed Infinity War.
1: Yeah. But I think that's why Han worked for me or Solo or sure. whatever they call it. Um because it was Kazden and it was his son that wrote wrote the script the and then uh, he writes. And you know, I mean if anybody kinda gets it, I mean he's now he's done a couple of things, which was what was the other did he do Last Jedi? Was he
0: in that one? Or I was thought, it no Ryan Johnson I thought wrote the script for that.
1: Oh yeah. So it would have been Rogue One then probably that Kazdan was he, he was involved in one of the more recent movies okay. as well. Yeah, just to try to or bring no, was in Or some... no, was it
0: Force Awakens? Because there was a cast that have credited in Force Awakens. Awakens. Yeah. yeah, it must have been Force yeah. Awakens. Because yeah. I got super but excited because so... I was like, oh, Lawrence, wait, he's dead. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Which Kasdan is this then?
1: Right, exactly. So you're just trying to bring in try to bring in some... Oh, I don't know, make it a team effort. And that that moderates
0: the more rogue elements. Of, right. But there's <laughs> the problem with Legacy 2 in any... Mm-hmm. Any area, whether it be movies or the church or politics, is your kids are never actually the genius that your father, your grandfather was. And That's so true. It's a, it's a washed out, watered down version of the original.
1: Or your kid might be actually more of a genius than your true. father ever but was. But
0: then, like, um, what's his face? Who did uh, uh, Reitman? Ivan Reitman's kid? Or he made Moon. Who made Moon? No, no. Moon was by David Bowie's kid. Mm. Um, oh, uh, now it's going to bother me. But... Um, yeah, names. names. Names are problematic. Names are problematic. But, um, no, yeah, in some cases you see that, that the the son or the grandson is even better than the original. But then in other cases, Jason Reitman, that's what it was. Okay, yeah. And uh, you see this both ways. And yeah it, like you said it is what it is you just try and capture that magic you're like well maybe he's got the magic too Duncan Jones is that yeah Duncan Jones that's David Boyd's kid he made Moon okay. and um really good movie with anyways yeah
1: <laughs> but let it let it you know I mean, I think that's you can't live in the shadow of your of your parents. I mean you can but you're just gonna it's like a coattails effect right, right. so if you're if just you're kind, kind of right, just cash
0: and checks awesome if you're, if yeah, you're happy with just the name recognition and the fame that comes with that or the, or the reputation or notoriety, you know, again, own it. But yeah, you're just living in the shadow of, of what their accomplishments. And sometimes, like you said, you got to step out from their shadow and just stand on your own two feet. And this is actually theologically we can say the same thing is we make our confession on what has come, you know, what has been written down and, and been given to us by our forefathers. And yet uh, there is no social media in the 1500s. And so, how are we going to how are we going to step out of the shadow of our theological fathers, and yet still remain loyal to that confession? Because again, Luther didn't talk to Muslims because <laughs> they were no. at the gates of Vienna. They, it was a different right. it was a different conversation. Yeah. It's harder to talk to somebody who has a cemetery, correct? right? Exactly. Versus in the United States, where the pressure is to assimilate and become an American citizen and kind of give up the pointed edges of your doctrines.
1: Generally speaking, they're not. They're not what we would consider radicalized or something like that. Right, right?
0: exactly. So yeah. Yep, orthodoxy, heterodoxy in any avenue, it's always a push and pull struggle. So mm-hmm. yep. but I suppose this is as good as a place as any to so. <laughs> yeah. kind of spun out there. Spun That's it good. out, shut it down. So that's it for this podcast. Mission from the Cross: Lutheran Theology of Mission by Klaus Detlef Schultz, published by Concordia Publishing House in St. Louis, Missouri, published in two thousand nine. Go check it out. I think you can get it on Kindle, can you?
2: Yep, it's yeah, It's Available on so Kindle. Like
0: thirty bucks on Kindle, but it's otherwise, big come book. back. Uh, same bat channel, same bat time for a brand new podcast. And uh, hope we pass the audition. See you. Zane.
3: You summoned me, Dr. Frankenstein? Indeed I did, Igor. I wanted to tell you that I'm retiring from the business of monster creation to do something that requires even more genius. What's that, Doctor? Coffee roasting, Igor. There are so many wonderfully complex variables to busy my intellect with. Try the end product, Igor. It's brilliant. And delicious. Not bad, Doctor. But have you considered just ordering your coffee pre-roasted? Preposterous, Igor. No one else has the scientific attention to detail that this enterprise requires. What about coffee by Gillespie? Coffee by Gillespie? Christopher Gillespie is a master at selecting high-quality, specialty coffee beans that are as sustainable as they are tasty. And to roast them to their finest, he uses traditional techniques combined with the latest technology. Something a scientist like you should appreciate, Doctor. Indeed, indeed. But the coffee, Igor, is it any good? Everything about coffee by Gillespie is done with taste in mind. Gillespie even ships your coffee directly to your address, so it doesn't lose its delectable flavor sitting on the store shelf. You've convinced me, Igor. Coffee by Gillespie clearly has me beat for coffee new-how. Where may I get some? Just go online to gillespie.coffee and order any time. Let it be done, Igor. But opt for the decaf. Frankie can be a handful when he's had too much caffeine. (laughs) Coffee by Gillespie. It's brilliant and it's delicious.